listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Bishtinsky speaking here. Uh, if you're listening to this, then you've tuned into episode nine of my podcast, Love That Album. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. If this is your first time listening to this, uh, the show basically revolves around myself and whoever I happen to have uh, conned into joining me for that week, talking about albums that uh, we're both very passionate about. And um, I've been rather enjoying doing that over the last few months. Uh, as I said, this is episode 9. I was hoping I'd get to episode 10 before the end of 2011, but never mind. Uh, episode 9 is still a very good place to be, because a year ago I never even thought I'd be doing a podcast. So, for this show, this time around, I have um, asked my very good friend, Mr. Julian Gillis, to join me. Welcome. Thanks, Morris, and it's a great pleasure to be here, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to uh, some of your podcasts in the past, and uh, I uh, particularly enjoyed just recently listening to your podcast about um, Get the Neck, um, a terrific album whose virtues I've just been... um, have just been brought to my attention by that podcast, so um, I, and I'm very much looking forward tonight to uh, talking about um, one of my favourite artists. Right, and the artist in uh, the, the artist to be mentioned is Matthew Sweet. Um, I guess he's been uh, labelled as an alt pop rocker. Um, I don't know. I'm never terribly comfortable with that description, alt pop, because you listen to. You listen to uh, Matthew Sweet, and he would have been positively mainstream if he'd been around in the 70s. He, uh, uh, I mean, we can go into his influences when we get up to that bit, but, um, yeah, how, how do you feel about a title, you know, like alt-pop rocker? Because, to be honest, I'm not against labels, you know, because it, you know, it gives us the punter an idea of what, sort of what to expect if we're hearing something for the first time, but how do you feel about a title like alt-pop? Look, I think one of the things about those titles is, as you say, it does give us an idea of what we what we might be about to hear. But I think one of, once you start to get to know an artist and understand what their influences are and, and get to know their music a little bit, you often find that those titles don't necessarily accurately sum them up. Mm-hmm. And they might be... Their, their, their musical sound might be far more diverse and might take in, into account a whole lot of influences that are wider than the generalist um, description that such, a, such as alt pop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, there's, uh, you know, on some of... Matthew Sweet's um, material, there's a decidedly country feel to it. Mm. And, um, you know, so I, I think that, look, at a, at a basic level, that kind of description it can be very useful, but um, it doesn't necessarily get you right to the heart of, of the artist. Mm. Mm. All right, well, we're going to uh, pursue that uh, in a very short time. But um, as I like to do at the start of the program, I normally ask my guest 
to um, have a bit of a talk about uh, what albums they've been listening to lately. Um, uh, so, Jules, do you have anything that you've been listening to of lately or anything that was a highlight for you in 2011 in general? Indeed. Well, I, um, I, I have to say that um, I, for one reason or another, haven't really picked up a whole lot of new music um, this year, mm. um, but I have instead taken the, uh, the opportunity to go back and, and um, catch up on a few things that I missed in some of the more recent years. And so... I have been playing. Um, I've been playing Florence and the Machines' uh, 2009 album "Lungs" um, over and over again in my uh, in, in the car, um, mm. and am loving it. Um, mm. A terrific album. I, I haven't. She's back. She'd actually released a new album, um, uh, "Ceremonials," that's just come out in the last month or so. I've been seeing it in the uh, in the shops, but and I'm embarrassed to say actually, I haven't heard it yet. So. I'll so please well, describe. I, well, I have to say that um, even though I um, have thoroughly enjoyed um, Lungs, uh, I've not really heard much of it yet either. Mm. So um, I, uh, I'm not able to uh, to speak of, from a position of real knowledge. But well, tell us about if, Lungs. But Lungs is just a tremendous album. Um, really, um, in really interesting lyrics. She's got a fabulous voice. Um, a really a, a great sound. Um, love some tra- love some of the tracks. Um, drumming song um, builds up to a brilliant crescendo. Um, the there were a couple of singles off it that were reasonably that, that were reasonably successful. Um, Kiss with a fist, um, which um, the Liverpool kiss. Well, it's quite it's it's quite an interesting um, it, it's quite an interesting song, and I actually might come back to that one a little bit later on. Okay, um, but. Um, uh, Kiss with a Fist was was quite commercially successful, um, and um, and and slightly slightly controversial in the sense that um, it's uh, looking at the uh, at the um, at, at the lyrics. There was some suggestion that um, it actually glorified domestic violence, and I, I'm I, that's not my interpretation of it. Um, I don't I don't really think that that's what the song's about. But um, it's but it's a point that I might come back to a little bit later on in the context of a Matthew Sweet song. Very good. So, um, but thoroughly enjoyed um, uh, Florence and the Machine. Mm. Um, another album that's um, that's been uh, well well worked in uh, in my household is um, uh, is an album from two thousand and ten. Um, Sally Seltman's Heart That's Pounding. Mm. Now. Sally Seltman um, is has come and gone in various guises. Um, she was um, um, for a number of years recorded as New Buffalo. Oh yes. Um, and she's probably best known as the writer of the uh, the Feist hit One Two Three Four. And um, and any anyone who um, who wants to see a um, see an excellent version of that should go on YouTube and see um, Feist doing that on Sesame Street. Oh, um, if you've got little kids, that's <laughs> that's really really something to look forward to. Yep. But um, Sally Seltman's uh, look an excellent writer. She, as, as I say, she's got quite an interesting history, and she's actually been touring this year with um, um, Holly Throsby and um, another. Another another female singer whose name um, escapes me. Uh, they're, they're calling themselves um, Seeker Lover Keeper, I think it was. Okay. And, um, so she's been doing uh, quite a lot of work. Uh, once again, beautiful, beautifully written, really, really nicely well crafted pop songs, um, and um, and she she's. Um, 
she's the wife of um, the guy from the Avalanches. Okay. And um, which is just a little bit of um, pointless and obscure detail. I, that you I really advertise this show as being about music minutia. So indeed, so indeed, bring it on. And the the which which fun enough got me to um, listening to the um, to the Avalanches again mm. and um, and an extraordinary album, um, uh, quite incredible. That I, I think they only released one. Yeah, um, it's been a few years, hasn't it? It's been. Uh, I think it must be pushing out to about ten. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I remember I remember the time thinking because I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, Canadian comic duo Wayne and Schuster, who had done the. Um, the sketch, I don't know how, whether I'd say it's famous or not famous, but I certainly well loved it, called Frontier Psychiatrist. Oh, yes. And all of a sudden I'm hearing this this track by the Avalanches, and I said, they've gone and sampled Wayne and Schuster. Will this lead to a comic revival of those great Canadian comics? Alas, it did not. Uh, uh, and it, it, it did not, and it didn't lead to, um, you know, to sort of, to prolific output or lasting success for the Avalanches, either. No, no. And, um, and, and, but, and it's quite interesting that, you know, you'll read pieces and people writing about that, that, that album and, and saying that, you know, best, best in, in the best ten albums that, you know, released in, certainly in the, in the last, in the last decade. And, mm. Um, you know, I mean, look at that, that, and that kind of thing is always just um, fodder for discussion. Yes. But, um, but it's an interesting, uh, you know, it's an interesting view, and that um, for a real, from a really interesting album. But it, well, we've digressed slightly. But um, yeah, and Sally Selton will actually have another album out. Um, I think early two thousand and eleven. Mm. Um, there's another one due out un, under her name. So, um, uh, but yeah, but heart that's pounding is. Um, is an album. It's it's very accessible. Um, my um, my wife, both my wife and my five year old daughter <laughs> liked it greatly. Oh, well um, As well as me, and um, but uh, really enjoyed that. And then another album, and going, is going back a little bit further even that I was alerted to uh, quite recently by one of my mates was the and I think it came from two thousand and seven. The Shins, wincing the night away. Um, also, look, um, I'd heard of the Shins. Um, I hadn't heard much of the album. It was quite, um, it was quite well received at the time. It sold a lot of copies. Mm. Um, it was yeah, critically, it was. Uh, I'm not, you know, look, there was some enthusiasm for it, but um, well crafted uh, pop songs. Um, fun, for some reason, I thought they were. Um, I thought they were British, but um, they're actually Americans. Um, okay. And um, so I really, I, I, I've, I've enjoyed um, listening to um, Wincing the Night Away and um, I, uh, I think I'll, I'll have to return the copy of it that, I, mm. that I've borrowed fairly soon. But, um, so I'll give that a few more listens um, um, in the, over the ne- next few days before I need to give that one back. And I, I just want, and I wanted to mention one more track from the, one more, one single from the deep, from the recent past. I think it's from two thousand and nine, which um, which has been getting a lot of a heavy rotation in 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 my car because because every, everyone's enjoyed it. And it was, and I'd heard of them at the time, but I didn't really hear hear much of their music. The Ting Tings, and and that's not my name. Um, I haven't heard this. And a terrific, a really, really, really interesting little single. Mm. Um, and I think it came. I think it was from about two, uh, 2009. Um, also, look, sold sold pretty well um, at, at the time. And um, 
It's uh, yeah, it's it, it's really gripping. It really catches you, and it sort of changes halfway through. And 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 you effectively what you're hearing sounds like it's two entirely different songs pieced together, and you know stopped halfway and pieced together. And uh, the um, I, I've not heard much anything else of their um, their music. Um, it, it happened to pop up on a. Uh, on a CD that um, that a mate uh, prepared, who um, he put to, it was a well, it was it's, it's a mixtape effectively, yep. um, and um, of um, we we were going we were doing a bit of driving and uh, we popped that in the car because it had a mixture of songs for adults and songs for kids, <laughs> and um, and uh, one of the interesting things about the song that about about the Ting Ting song was that the um, the the kids were were grabbed by it as well, but. Um, so um, yeah, yeah, that's that, but it was a really interesting little single that one. So mm. yeah, so I've, look, I've been taking an opportunity just to uh, to catch up on some of the stuff that I, I seem to have missed over um, over the last few years, and I, I'm expecting that sometime in 2012 or 2011, uh, I might have caught up. Well, rather 2012 or 2013, I might have caught up with what's gone on in 2011. Fantastic! We'll get you to be doing a year roundup at uh, this time <laughs> next year on 2012. Tens music. Um, okay, well, look, I, I think that's. Um, uh, you have you have any more that you want? No. All right. Well, I've I've got quite a list of things here. I'm wondering whether I uh, should pare it down or, or just look. I, I think I think I might sort of go um, go through what I've got here, but I don't think I'll be speaking as comprehensively about any of those as you've passionately spoken about uh, those releases. But um, all great albums. I, I've sort of got a list here, both of things that came out this year. And things from previous years, which had uh, had quite heavy rotation um, on uh, my CD player, or, or listening to on the iPod, or um, or, or on vinyl. Um, so I guess okay, going through some of the albums that came out this year, um, I, I think uh, from very earlier on this year came the second release from uh, Seattle band, the Fleet Foxes. Uh, I noticed that this has taken. Um, uh, Taken a high, a high position on a lot of uh, end of year best ofs, and certainly for good reason. I remember there were a few sceptical people uh, around thinking that um, that uh, the first Fleet Foxes album might have been a flash in the pan, uh, you know, just a one-off, and that they couldn't repeat it. And um, I, I certainly would never have thought such a such a silly thought. I, I had every faith that they'd come up with something at least as good. And, uh, in my mind, I think if anything, they've they've gone better. Um, I mean, it's still noticeably a Fleet Foxes album. They haven't gone from uh, you know being great vocal harmonists and folky to you know, doing their funk album or anything like that. It is still an extension of what they did on their uh, on their debut album and the EP that came out even before that. Uh, but the songwriting has developed, and you know, there's a there's a few um, uh, instruments that didn't appear the first time. There's a saxophone on one song. Um, it sounds like I think two saxophones having something of an argument. Um, it's not that's not as terrible as it sounds, but uh, uh, but yeah, they, they come up with some interesting sounds and a few Middle Eastern instruments on uh, on one or two of the songs. Um, but Robin Peckold, who's the uh, lead singer of the group, um, and I think might be the main songwriter, I can't remember, uh, but it's just come up with some really beautiful tunes. Uh, this time round, and the harmonies are as glorious as ever. I got to watch um, a uh, DVD or oh, well, uh, video of uh, an appearance that they put in on a long-time German rock program called Rock Palast, 
and um, it was just absolutely wonderful. Watching the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I should just say that despite what I said when we were when I was talking about albums before, I did manage to hear the Fleet Foxes oh, album good, for good. 2011, and I would uh, definitely agree with mm. uh, with your comments. Helplessness Blues. I think I might have neglected to mention the name. Uh, Helplessness Blues is uh, the name of their uh, second release. Uh, if uh, if you live in Australia, uh, then the good news is that they're touring in uh, January maybe even late December depending on where you are in the country but they're playing Melbourne sometime early January so uh, that'll certainly be a show to uh, to check out uh, let's see what else have I got here uh, I think probably my favourite album of the year would ha- and we waited a long time for it was uh, from Gillian Welsh now I remember Gillian Welsh once said in an interview that the albums are not just named after her. She happens to be in a band called that's just called Gillian Welsh, but really the band is Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings, and he is absolutely integral to everything about uh, her record's sound. She's you know, he's co-songwriter, he's a producer, uh, he plays just the most beautiful style of uh, guitar, um, and uh, the, the songs here are just so well crafted. Nothing that you wouldn't expect. But um, I think it was eight years or so since the last Gillian Welsh album called Soul Journey. And uh, no, look, I'm, I'm often a believer that um, a, a band can enhance uh, a performer's sound rather than just you know, the lone guitar or the duo guitar. But it, certainly I think the reverse is true for Gillian. Um, and the Soul Journey album, which still had some fine songs and would have been better by a country mile than a lot of other... Uh, contempor- of her contemporaries um, but uh, still wasn't her finest moment after you know the, the previous album Time the Revelator which uh, no doubt a lot of people put on their best albums of the decade and deservedly so uh, but um, here she is you know returning after all these years although mind you it wasn't completely quiet because she'd gone and done a few things on the side working with other with other artists I think actually she appeared earlier on this year on um, the latest Decemberists album um, and uh, I, I think maybe a year or two ago um, the, uh, the two of them uh, Gillian and David Rawlings did um, an album that appeared in basically in David Rawlings name so it's still the same group but the focus, the lead vocal focus was on on Dave still the two of them wrote all the songs and uh, but it was more emphasis on his lead vocals rather than hers and uh, so not completely appeared out of the limelight but that Dave Rawlings album Friend of a Friend was uh, a wonderful album I think in 2009 when it came out but yeah now Gillian Welsh's album of this year is called The Harrow and the Harvest uh, if you've heard it then I'm sure you agree with me that this is a marvellous album if you haven't I urge you to uh, go out and uh, get a copy this album is full of songs <sighs> the, the usual Gillian Welsh themes lust death um, a whole lot of uh, real yeah, the, the, the song lyrics are things that you could pick the bones out of and and discuss forever. Uh, just yeah, she's she's done something really really special. Their harmonies are, are gorgeous as per usual, um, and musically, whilst the songs are very downbeat, but you never feel depressed listening to. It. I just find I always had a smile. Uh, and really, when the album came out, I think for a whole month I was listening to nothing but. And you could get very sick of listening to the same thing over and over again, but this is a magical album. Um, so, yeah, I urge you to go seek that out. 
what else? Uh, on a local frame, uh, Kavisha Metzella uh, has produced uh, another great album uh, in Love and Sorrow. Uh, and yet yeah, this is uh, textually rich. Um, some beautiful instrumentation on this album and uh, following the, the usual sorts of uh, uh, great songwriting that she does um, and, and on you know some some very sad themes but also um, oh, there's one song oh, I can't remember what it's called Victoria Market or she sings about going to Victoria Market um, so it has a bit of a local flavour for Mel- Melburnians um, but yeah wonderful album that she's put out there uh, also in a local frame um, for those of you out there who may know me personally uh, know that I'm a fanatic for uh, acapella music so Australia's Idea of North put out another great album this year called Extraordinary Tale um, I think possibly uh, the one week moment on it might have been I still call Australia home no need for that uh, but um, that notwithstanding what I really liked about this album uh, this is a group that as I guess was evidenced by their um, last album with uh, James Morrison and his uh, and his big band was that uh, they could do all sorts of really technically tricky jazzy sorts of things but I think they pull back on some of their arrangements and they go for simple here not necessarily simplistic but simple uh, and it because they decide that they're going to surf the song not show off how many millions of notes and how many polyrhythms that they can do and I think the album the album's highlight for me and not just because I'm a Beatles fanatic is uh, their absolutely gorgeous rendition of uh, John Lennon's In My Life uh, very simple harmonies there but really they, they went by the adage less is more uh, and yet an absolutely gorgeous rendition what else have I got here oh yes um an album which I pursued because I'd just read an article about it in Uncut magazine. Uh, I hadn't heard anything about them, but apparently they've been to Australia a couple of times. So I'll be paying attention the next time they're here. Is um, a group from, I think, the north of England called The Unthanks. And I just thought that was a rather unusual name until I realised, well, in fact, uh, that the uh, two lead singers are uh, sisters Becky and Rachel Unthank. That's their name. It's not, <laughs> it's not some statement on... Um, on uh, being ungrateful, um, but um, uh, if you've not heard the unthanks, I possibly if um, certainly if you live in Australia, I, I'd say that a good comparison would be at least musically, maybe not uh, lyric-wise, but musically would be uh, my friend the Chocolate Cake. There's sort of that uh, folk chamber feel. I mean, they, uh, I, I guess you know they they said in an interview uh, that you know, it might seem unusual for a um, a piano. Uh, to be so the, the dominant intru- in, instrument, I say interest, instrument in a uh, in a folk group, and uh, yet they they make it work very very well, and uh, the the haunting piano sounds remind me very much of uh, David Bridie in his guise of uh, my friend the chocolate cake. Um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an absolutely gorgeous album. This is um, well. Album number two with the name The Unthanks, but really album number four, because I think for a couple of albums they went by the name uh, 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 Becky Unthanks and the Somerset or the Winterset, but um, this is album number two in the name of uh, The Unthanks. So uh, I'd urge you to uh, seek them out if you haven't actually already caught on to them. Beautiful album from them. Um, just briefly, what else uh, came out this year that I really liked? 
Uh, yeah, look, an album that I actually I, I got hold of, but didn't seem to listen to too much. Um, not because I didn't like it, but just seemed to be so many other things to listen to. Was um, from '60s group The Zombies. Now, um, I guess yeah, The Zombies had been around for about eight years in the '60s, but were really sort of only um, appreciated for uh, the album that they recorded just before they split up, called Odyssey and Oracle. And um, uh, that's an, that in itself was an album I only sort of like heard for the first time about three years, and for I think a whole year listened to just about nothing but. Um, this new album, Breathe Out, Breathe In, it had me a little bit, I don't know, wary when uh, the title track uh, I heard before I got hold of the album sounded um, like they were trying to be uh, Steely Dan, and I'm not a fan of Steely Dan, a little bit too slick for my liking, but uh, the rest of the album is, um, yeah, it, it doesn't sort of approach those uh, absolutely sheen and slick that Steely Dan does, and it's just really great, harmonious pop songs um, it's not the uh, original lineup, um, but it does have uh, uh, I guess the heart and soul of the band which is Colin Blundstone on vocals and Rod Argent on uh, piano and uh, probably wrote most of the songs um, but uh, yeah some, a, a great album there Breathe Out Breathe In um, uh, and now uh, a couple of disappointments from this year I probably should, oh no hang on I've got one more uh, oh, I've actually got a few more but I'll, I'll mention one more album from this year that I really loved and uh, this is a late runner because this only came out I think in the last month or month and a half it's a band from Melbourne called Clary Brown and the Banging Rackets. now uh, if you listen to uh, my last podcast uh, with Dr. Zom talking about uh, quadrophenia uh, you'd have heard me uh, make mention of that in this segment um, and this is definitely uh, one of my top albums of the year uh, Baby Caught the Bus and um, if you're from overseas uh, look her up on the internet and order a copy directly from her if uh, you're uh, uh, bemoaning the loss of uh, Amy Winehouse Never Fear uh, a lo-fi version uh, without some of the production sheen has arrived in the form of uh, Clary Brown and the Banging Rackets uh, and I mentioned it in the last episode, but it's a story worth repeating, that she came upon the name The Banging Rackets because she had herself had been approached in a store by the, um, by the sales lady, I think in a clothing store, who told her that she had a banging rack. So um, she felt the need, <laughs> she felt the need to uh, call her band The Banging Rackets. Uh, so yeah, plenty of uh, great... Uh, R&B and soul in that uh, 60s vein look them up on YouTube as well uh, some great film clips there there's the full on choreography of, uh, of her background singers the, uh, the banging rackets and uh, a great R&B soul review, some fantastic musicians in her band, I urge you to seek out Baby Caught the Bus from Clary Brown and the banging rackets uh, just briefly a few albums that um I either caught up with for the first time or listened to a lot from previous years. Um, well, I guess an album that should have been in a 2011 favourite, it, it only it came out late 2010, I'll include it, is uh, Imelda May, uh, the Irish rockabilly songstress. Irish and rockabilly, I don't know, never, never thought I'd hear that. But, uh, and she plays a Bodran. Bodran and rockabilly, possibly the only singer. Yes, yeah. I imagine it's a fairly narrow genre. <laughs> Bodran in the rockabilly genre. Um, but uh, her album Mayhem, fantastic. Some uh, some great musicianship there. Um, 
and actually I think she put out a, another album this year but it wasn't technically her album it was um, uh, Jeff Beck uh, who'd gone and used Imelda May and her band as his backup band for an album that uh, called Rock and Roll Party which was a tribute to uh, the music of Les Paul um, and uh, yeah some, some great playing on that so uh, you get uh, double the chance to hear Imelda May and her band this year if you search it out a couple of disappointments for me this year were uh, the album from the Felice Brothers. They had an album uh, that came out called Celebration Florida. I know a lot of people liked it, and certainly the uh, Felice Brothers are, are a band who I love everything else that they've done, but um, they went in a different direction this time round. And uh, normally I can, you know, I respect bands who want to try something a little different, um, but I just think that this was a little bit too. Uh, to left of what they usually did and I just didn't think that the songs had the same um, catchiness for me not that it has to have catchiness it can be it can be maudlin and I'll still like it but this is just a little too strange maybe I need a few more listens over the summer to maybe I ought to put it out of my mind that it's the uh, that it's the Felice Brothers and just listen to it for who it is and maybe it'll appeal to me but at this stage it seemed a bit of a disappointment and I'm sad to say that our feature artist for this uh, episode, uh, Matthew Sweet, uh, his album Modern Art, I gave that a one-off listen and thought, oh, I think his muse has deserted him this time, Rand. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, look, it was interesting. I've also given that. I, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to listen to it. I have done a similar to you, given it a one-off listen. And um, it's interesting. Look, I... I wasn't grabbed by it, mm. and um, I, I read a couple of reviews and people talking very enthusiastically about the uh, about the single and its name escapes. She walks the night, I think. It's yeah. Um, and um, I have to say, it didn't do a whole lot for me. Mm. Um, I and look, and it may be that with um, with some. Um, uh, additional listens, um, it'll it'll grow on me, and maybe. And one of the problems I think with sometimes with just the one-off listen is that it doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to really explore the theme. For sure. And um, and so you know, and maybe with uh, with some additional listening, it uh, it might really uh, really grow on me. But um, there wasn't uh, there. It didn't really grab me. It didn't. It didn't initially make me feel like, oh, I must. I must listen to this again. Yes. So, um, I am hopeful that it is. And, and it, look, it's it's had some some fairly positive reviews, and it's had some very enthusiastic reviews. Um, and um, you know, so I'm hopeful that I might see a little bit more in it um, if I um, if I listen to it a little bit more. But. Um, my, uh, I was I was quite keen, you know, when I heard there was a new album out, and um, I just wasn't really grabbed by it. There mm, was, there mm. was, I mean, you know, there was, there was, there, a, there was, there was nothing in it that ha- that that struck me as having a particularly catchy hook, mm. and b, I just didn't sort of make me feel like, yeah, that's something I need. I need to listen to again immediately. Mm, mm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well. well. Time will tell to see whether we do give it that uh, that second listen that might or might not deserve. But yeah, those are my disappointments for the year. Um, albums that um, I, that got a lot of rotation from previous years. Well, probably uh, specifically, I, I went back to this for the podcast, but 
I found myself going back a lot, even after the podcast, to get the knack that we spoke about off air before. Just uh, you know, great rock and roll album. I'm not going to re- go over it again because <laughs> you can go back and download that episode if you're interested. Um, and, I, and I would say that as a person who was not um, particularly aware of, of the of the knack and basically knew of them from my Sharona. Um, I did very much enjoy listening to you, to the podcast, and it was uh, it was it was nice to be um, awakened to the uh, to the quality of the album. Yay! Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, what else? Um, oh, look in in Melbourne town uh, where uh, Julian and I live, we are absolutely rich and abundant in um, great music venues and lots of great songwriters, and one. One really fantastic songwriter that we have here, although he lived in America for quite a few years, um, was a guy called Dan Warner. Now, um, Dan in the 90s had um, a group which was first called the Warner Brothers, but when the, um, the movie company threatened to sue, they had to change their name to the Overnight Jones. Um, but... Um, Dan, he's played in many guises. Besides the Overnight Jones, Warner Brothers, he played um, in. Uh, he had a duo going for many years here called Dan and Al, which um, I believe are working again. They hadn't worked for a little while, but I believe they did a gig uh, only earlier on this week. Um, and he's always doing something somewhere. Now, Dan, for the last few months, I believe he's having to stop this because. Um, uh, he, he's going back to work, much our loss. But uh, he's been busking outside uh, this, the um, railway station uh, near where I work in the city, and it's just been absolutely a huge pleasure listening to him and another fellow called Dave, whose surname I don't know. Uh, so Dan would play um, guitar, and Dave playing the uh, the accordion, and that. But they wouldn't be doing any of Dan's or Dave's own songs; they'd just be doing. Uh, cover versions, but putting their spin on it. And I have to say, the Australian crawl song Reckless never did it for me, but these two guys just turned it with their harmonies and they're playing into something absolutely magical. So um, why I'm bringing up Dan, besides wanting to expound on my enthusiasm for him as a musician, is, um, you know, I got into having some conversations with him, you know, on the way to work. And uh, I told him, you know, how I'd been a fan of the Warner Brothers, but one album that I hadn't been able to acquire was his album called uh, Ice Bake Gas and you know was it still available and he said uh, no but I'll loan you my personal copy which is really nice because he didn't know me from a bar of soap but he loaned it to me and, and uh, allowed me to make a copy so absolutely wonderful all I can say is please Dan if you're listening to this find a way to get this uh, great album re-released and if you actually are listening out there and you have uh, the Overnight Jones Ice Bake Gas in your collection um, revisit it just absolutely wonderful pop um, yeah, uh, yeah great stuff they were a great band and they're actually doing uh, on Friday the 23rd I'm not sure if I'll have this up before then so um, might be too late to advise you to go see it but they're, the Overnight Jones are having, or Warner Brothers I should say uh, are having a uh, reunion gig I forgot the name of the venue, but it's somewhere in the northern side of Melbourne, you know, so one of the uh, 10,000 venues that they have out there um, to do their first album from start to finish, plus whatever other songs they all remember. So, um, yeah, very excited. I've been listening to Weiss Bait Gas. That's uh, the, the gist of it. Um, uh, what else? I caught on to um, a band this year. I think I mentioned a couple of podcasts back. 
called Lost Straight Jacket, uh, who I'm not sure what part of the states they're from, but uh, uh, they mix um, Mexican wrestling costumes and wrestling masks with surf music. And I've got to tell you, people, I mean, they've been around for like 15, 20 years or something like that, but I, I'm, I've, just, I've become a convert to their ways absolutely fantastic I, I think I first saw them saw or heard of them by searching for something else on YouTube and I came across they were doing uh, their version in a surf style of the theme from Midnight Cowboy and it was just great I since went out and got their live album uh, where they did um, you know, the theme from the Munsters and the theme from the Magnificent Seven but they're not just all about movie themes and show themes people they did a lot of their own original surf music um, but yeah they're, they're great and absolutely a, a fun band a real fun band I don't know if they've been here they probably have um, but uh, I'll, if they ever come back and, and you're listening out there Lost Straight Jackets I'll be there fantastic come on out um, uh, a band from Melbourne I don't know if you'll remember them Jules uh, Broderick Smith's Big Combo mm, do you remember them? Absolutely absolutely. Uh, the big song was My Father's Hands it became sort of like the alternative national anthem in Australia when it came out you remember that? And, the, oh, and they, play, they played around Melbourne for many many years mm, mm. Um, yeah yeah very very well known if, if um, certainly in, in the in the 80s in the I'm just trying to think when they were playing late 70s early 80s I think yeah. they uh, uh, I, I remember it was early 80s because uh, Andy Durant, uh, the guitar player from Stars, had recently passed away, but uh, some of the songs that he'd written, uh, Broderick Smith took on in tribute to, to Andy mm. uh, and he dedicated the album to him. But that album, which had been out of print for many years, had been released by a great Australian archival label called Aztec Music, sort of like a, an Australian version of uh, Rhino Records, if you will. Um, and uh, they're dedicated to uh, preserving Australia's rock history. I mean, Aztec Records, named after Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs. Um, so, um, yeah, they, they're really uh, uh, doing a great thing to make sure that uh, Australia's rock heritage isn't uh, sort of like left rotting in the vaults. And they did a beautiful uh, remastering and remix on the Broderick Smith's Big Combo album. Uh, unfortunately, only one bonus track. A lot of these um, archival albums that um, uh, Aztec Records have been putting out have had a lot of bonus stuff, but there was only like, I think, a single B-side. They, they must have pretty much recorded, re- released everything that they recorded on for that album. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's just a self-titled name, Broderick Smith's Big Combo. If you're from the States uh, and listening to this, I guess probably uh, the closest thing I can compare Broderick Smith's Big Combo to would be maybe Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's got that great sort of piano and organ feel. And um, uh, Broad Smith, uh, in the day, uh, was certainly uh, one of this country's greatest blues harmonica players um, and, and had a booming voice. If So, um, yeah, search him out if you haven't heard of him. Uh, look, I think that's enough. We've, we've, we've gone on 38 minutes and we haven't even got to the focus of the show. This is turning into silver and gold. <laughs> All right, look, at this point, um, I think we'll cut to a break. And after that, we'll, um, Jules and I will uh, talk a bit about uh, Matthew Sweet before going into uh, the feature albums. Uh, you're listening to um, Love That Album. 
This is a great jump film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the Girls on Film Radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com And we're back from break. Uh, Morris here, Julian there, and uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Matthew Sweet and the Focus albums, because I couldn't decide on which one, because they're both so great, uh, will be Girlfriend and Altered Beast from the early 90s, but uh, before we talk about the albums specifically, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, Matthew Sweet himself. Do you want to lead off on this, Jules? Mm, certainly. Um <clears throat> Going back into the deep dark past, Matthew Sweet uh, originally came out of um, the Athens, Athens, Georgia music scene in mm. the early eighties. Um, some of the uh, some of the better known artists from uh, from that scene were um, uh, Michael Stipe mm. and the B Fifty Twos. And um, <clears throat> Matthew Sweet actually played. Um, um, he did some collaborative work with um, with Michael Stipe's sister. Oh, okay. And he played in, uh, and he played in a band with Michael Stipe's sister, um, not with Michael Stipe. No, so he, I... he, may, he may have backed the wrong horse there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so going back, um, so he um, and he look, and he he actually co- collaborated with um, with quite with quite a number of people, and um, he released some uh, he, prior to Girlfriend, which was his 1991 release. Um, there were there were a few there were three or four um, releases prior to that, um, and the the, uh, the names of all of the full names escape me right for the moment. But there was um, there was Earth, which was I think the 1987 mm. release, yep. um, and. Um, there are a couple of others, and so look. So he sort of honed his craft um, in that scene, and then, um, and it actually moved record companies and um, two or three times mm. um, prior to uh, prior to the release of Girlfriend, um, and then. 1991, he um, released Girlfriend, and then 1993, in January and February 1993, he recorded Altered Beast. Mm. And um, so, 1991 was sort of the the, uh, the release of Girlfriend was the album that brought him to um, relatively sort of I don't know if mainstream commercial notice is quite the way to describe it. And because as as you said, as, you, as I think you mentioned before that. A lot of people are not that familiar with uh, with Matthew Sweet, and and, and as, as a big fan of Matthew Sweet, I often find myself trying to describe, you know, who is this Matthew Sweet? And you you eventually reach that point where you say, "Have you seen the Austin Powers movies?" <laughs> uh, you know, he was he was in um, he was in the band in the Austin Powers That's movies. That's right, he was too. And then yes, he was. You know, he and um, he and Susanna Hoffs were. Um, we're in. We're in the band. I can't so, growl there, but I'm, I'm growling. <laughs> but yeah. So, but it's. But um. Look. So, 1991, girlfriend came out, and um, he um, 
Um, and, and it's interesting because uh, look, a lot of people bought Girlfriend, and, and, I, have, and I have to suspect that um, most self-respecting mixtapes from the 1990s contain, contain at least one track from mm, that mm. Um, because um, people were really uh, grabbed by, 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 the, by, girlfriend, by, by the Girlfriend single and also by um, I've Been Waiting. Yeah. And, oh, was that a single, was it? Um, I think it might have been released. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not sure. But it certainly played on radio. Yeah, it, it was certainly played on the on the on the radio, and it's a really catchy, um, and it's a really catchy song. And very jangly, very birds birds like. I mm, think. Yeah. Very very birds like, and 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 beautifully written. And I and I say that partly because I actually stopped, pinched a line. Uh, for my wedding speech from that. Oh, uh, did you? I don't remember. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I, um, I didn't think I'd find you perfect in so many ways. Ah, very nice. And, you soppy boy. And and one of the one of the great benefits of uh, on that particular occasion of being a Matthew Sweet fan was that a lot of people came up to me and said, "Wow, that was so such, such a nice sentiment. That was so so poetic." And I. I don't think I necessarily owned up on all occasions to the fact well, that that wasn't actually an original thought. Well, both people who listen to my podcast now know. <laughs> but I, I have actually confessed that to my wife. Ah, okay. Um, so I remember, actually, I remember one time where you were telling me she was going out to soccer practice that you said, you know what, now that she's out to soccer practice, I'm able to turn up this Matthew Sweet bootleg to 11 while I work around the house. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, yeah. indeed, which I, I did thoroughly enjoy that. Um, and uh, I, I've got a reasonable co- collection of Matthew Sweet material at home and, mm. uh, and um, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Good Friend. Um, which was uh, I think an early incarnation of of, uh, demos Mm. of her girlfriend which I think actually the can we believe it's the 20th anniversary edition of Girlfriend has just come out 20 years and I think the bonus CD is Good friend, the, ah, the, the okay. demos. So. Oh, which we, which well, and, and and I have to say, have to it, toss out your bootlegs. Yeah, it is, <laughs> look, it, it, and it is, it is very, very tempting to um, uh, to acquire the twentieth anniversary version. Uh, I know that Matthew Sweet has been out touring the um, um, uh, the album, and I, funnily, I was actually, I was having a look at his website, and I did see that he was. Um, he was. He's playing somewhere. He's playing in the states. Uh, I. I have to confess, I forget exactly where it was uh, on the thirtieth of December. Mm. So if you're um, if you're a Matthew Sweet fan and um, you want to bring in the uh, the new year in. Uh, in, in a pretty good way, yeah. uh, it would be great to uh, hear him doing the twentieth um, the twentieth anniversary version of the album, mm. um, and he's and he's putting in a little bit of additional material as well. But it's quite interesting this this um, this idea of the twentieth anniversary version. It's been I mean there have been a few other artists do it recently. I um, I did go and see the. Um, um, uh, the Pixies um, in 2009 when they were in um, um, uh, in, in Melbourne uh, touring there for the 20th anniversary of Doolittle mm, mm. Um, which um, actually they, they'd been out here in 2007 as well and I have to say the 2007 show was, was better I think probably a better venue but um, thoroughly enjoyed the 2009 version but it's just there's something interesting about going going to see um, you know 
see bands performing the uh, the 20th anniversary version of, a, of an album that you re- that you really love. Mm, mm. <coughs> um, okay, so okay, so we've already gone and spoken <coughs> you've spoken a little bit there about um, about his origins and all that, and you know, the the albums that he came out with before Girlfriend. Well, I remember the first time I actually came to listen to him. I used to like to go. Uh, to this second-hand CD shop that was uh, near, oh, where was it? I think near my parents' place. Um, and they also used to have like a whole lot of CD singles. Remember those folks? Geez, they've gone the way of the dinosaur. Um, and, um, but I sort of found, well, you know, it was a good way to sort of see, right, well, let's see who I can sample. Let's see what's good. Uh, or give something a try. And if I like it, then I go out and get a full-blown album. And I saw they had this CD single, Matthew Sweet, Time Capsule. Now, I hadn't heard any of the music, but I remembered seeing something in the paper that he just toured Australia. I think, oh, well, let's just see what this is about. I came home, put the CD on, put the single on, and I must have played it at least half a dozen times in a row before I could sort of bring myself to walk away and realise I just heard a perfect pop tune. We'll go a little bit later on into the contents of the song and why I love it so much. But that was my first uh, impression of him and then naturally went out and sought out that you know, the, the full Altered Beast album and, and Girlfriend. But it was just taking a chance. You know, I hadn't... Uh, no one put me on. I just saw this CD. Oh, well, let's give this a try, as I was prone to do. Um, and often that's what you really need. Mm. You need you need to be grabbed by something by an artist. And to, I mean, Time Capsule is a tremendous single, a tremendous song. Um, and we we will we will talk about it more at length mm. later on. I I think one other thing I want to point out is um, if if you didn't know any better, when we get into the lyrics of his songs, we'll sort of talk a little bit more about this. But um, if someone were to come to you, Jules, and say, look. Would you like to hear a song called Girlfriend by a guy called Matthew Sweet? Your impression would not be that this guy likes to wig out on rock and roll feedback. You'd think he was a Justin Bieber-esque or David Cassidy with showing our age. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And uh, no, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. Mm. And that um, whereas one of the one of the um, one of the great attractions uh, for me of Matthew Sweet's music is the fabulous guitar work. Mm. Mm. Um, well, well, let's let's go to some of the musicians <laughs> who are actually playing on the album um, or across both albums. Uh, he had. Uh, uh, one, well, a couple of drummers, I think, on uh, Altered Beast. Uh, one of them is Fred Marr, who also produced the album. Um, and uh, the other main drummer from that album was um, uh, Attraction, now Imposter, uh, Pete Thomas of uh, Elvis Costello's uh, Attractions and Elvis Costello and the Imposters. Um, and you know, so Pete Thomas, I think, had often... Uh, he, he's been known to say that he uh, likes to approach his drumming in a fairly uh, songwritery sort of way, and he, he's not out to be flashy and showy. Although he's technic- a very technical, he can be a very technical drummer, but um, he serves the song. So he, it's obvious that he likes to play with great songwriters. So you know, it, it's great that he ended up and he made a very significant contribution 
and, and another actually I've written I've, I've not written that much about the guitarist or I've written like four great drummers so Fred Marr Pete Thomas Jody Bell the drummer of Big Star and without a doubt uh, Matthew Sweet if you're going to say he's influenced by anyone it's Big Star the, the great sort of strong melodic pop hooks but with a very 70s sort of influence and actually I'm not sure I, I didn't get hold of uh, Matthew Sweet's um, between the covers well the, 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 the 70s cover, but no. I don't know do, were there any big star covers on that do you know I have a feeling there might be I I haven't got it either uh, I love the, the 60s, the 60s one. one with oh, fabulous a fabulous fabulous album but um, uh, I haven't got the 70s mm. one I do I have a sneaking suspicion that there is a big star cover on it there'd have to be um, and the other big drummer, and really it's quite quite uh, a coup, whatever else you might sort of think of the band, but here's Mick Fleetwood playing yes, drums. Yes, yes. I actually think that Mick Fleetwood might have been partly responsible for um, him getting the uh, the recording contract that got him recording Altered, mm. Altered Beast and Girlfriend. So, uh, you know, kudos to Mick Fleetwood for recognising great songwriting talent. And so he's playing drums on this. Um uh, from a um, from a guitarist point of view, uh, he has uh, sorry, two... just before you get off the. Oh, sorry, yeah, sure, I'm just looking on. at the um, um, the uh, girl at the girlfriend um, notes, and I've been waiting in certain other tra- and divine intervention to have uh, Rick Mick on the drums. Oh, okay. Um, left that out possible because yeah, I don't really know. No, his, I don't his really, heritage. No, no, I don't, and I, I actually don't know very much about 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 him. The only reason I mention him is yep. because. Um, on the new album Modern Art, he he's on he's on the new album Modern Art as well. Okay, and so that's just an interesting sort of um, history that yes. uh, 20, 20 years later um, still there. still still there and still part mm. of the picture. Oh, good. Um, on a, from a guitarist perspective, we have uh, Richard Lloyd, uh, guitar player of Television, mm. and um, yeah, their album Marquee Moon sort of seems to still pop up on a lot of uh, uh, rock critics. Uh, favorite albums and I, yeah, a, a great guitarist and uh, television certainly a seminal band of the seventies. And uh, Robert Quine. Now, Robert Quine wasn't someone who I knew anything about. I did the did a bit of the search, mm. and so he was supposed to be a legendary guitarist for a band called Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And I searched some of their material out on uh, YouTube. I, I got to confess, not my cup of tea. But his guitar playing on on the Matthew Sweet albums is just. Fantastic. Yeah, look, real tre- tremendous guitar playing on the Matthew Sweet albums, and I actually did a little bit of research as well. And look, he pl- he he actually played with some um, some really interesting people. Played with Lou Reed, um, mm. with Marianne Faithful, um, Lloyd Cole, Tom Waits. Actually, Lloyd Cole appears on um, mm. these albums as well. Yes, I think. yes, and also um, they might be giants. <laughs> Richard um, Hell play with they might be giants. Yeah, according to my research, turned up that I'm not sure in what uh, on what album, or um, and I might need to do a little bit more work on that. That's but a I believe very that, bizarre that Robert Quine played on. Uh, we'd play with they might be giants. So, very bizarre um, as, as well. So yeah, look. So he he's got. I mean, he had some. Um, um, and he he actually played on a number of Matthew Sweet albums. Um, Prior to the ones that we're talking about tonight, he played on Earth. Um, he played on both 
Girlfriend and Altered Beast, and then later on on Son of Altered Beast and on 100% Fun. Mm, mm. And um, but um, yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, he obviously had a, uh, a you know a strong relationship with uh, with Matthew Sweet, but unfortunately, he um, he overdosed in 2004, so mm. he's no longer with us. Yep, yep. Um, I thought, actually, just as an interesting uh, context, I've not done this in previous shows, but I might make this a regular thing. It's probably worth just to sort of put in context who was big at the time. Mm. So going for Girlfriend, which came out in October 91, um, the, the landscape in 1991 featured Nevermind, mm, yes. Nirvana, and 10 by Pearl Jam. So the world mm. was going crazy on the Seattle grunge sound. I mean, millions, lots of other things as well, I guess, but but that was the big headline sound, you know, supposedly at the time. And here was Matthew Sweet trying to sort of compete with this sort of um, punky, tough, but harmoniously poppy sort of sound. Um, he, I guess he wasn't sort of going to dominate the landscape, but I guess he mm. found his niche. Uh, and in July 93, when Altered Beast came out, the, um, the other albums that were out then, uh, Nirvana's In Utero, uh, Billy Joel released River of Dreams, his final contribution to pop music. Um, and, um, uh, oh, and in, well, what else happened in 1993? Prince became the artist formerly known as Prince as he Is changed right? his name to Symbol. So yeah, nineteen ninety three, a big year, and that's what that's what Matthew Beast was. Uh, uh, Matthew Matthew Beast, Matthew Sweet <laughs> was was competing against. Competing against. Um, and look, I, I guess uh, he's he's sort of become part of the uh, uh, power pop collective from the uh, early nineties. Um, uh, I guess he's in good company with um, with other bands like Teenage Fan Club, uh, the Fountains of Wayne, um, right. who actually I believe have released a new album. Is that right? Yes, I have. Well, I, I always think of the um, uh, the Fountains of Wayne at this time of year because um, I'm always, oh, I'm often prompted to um, go on on YouTube and and uh, catch the video of um, their uh, their Christmas song. Um, I want an alien for Christmas. <laughs> oh god! And uh, so, and, and if you're not familiar with I want an alien for Christmas, um, I don't even know that one. I have that, to search that, that one is, now. Uh, that, that will be three minutes of your life well spent. Indeed. And uh, I actually did did get did see the Fountains of Wayne in the very very deep dark past. Mm. Uh, must be more than fifteen years ago. Mm. They came, I think they came here, didn't they? I Would think have they the did. Prince, the uh, Prince of Wales Hotel in St Kilda. I think they did. I saw them in London. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think they did come out here as well. Um, and I, I guess other uh, great are those power pop bands from that you know were around the same era as when uh, uh, Matthew Sweet uh, sort of started making a name for himself. Uh, were um, the long bemoaned well my household anyway uh, group Jellyfish uh, put out a couple of great albums. One in particular I really love called Spilled Milk, uh, and um, <clears throat> they were sort of I, I guess Jellyfish were uh, maybe, uh, I, I guess, uh, a less pompous version of Queen. Um, none of the... Uh, they still had that stadium rock mentality, but uh, but they had 
Um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe didn't take themselves as seriously as, as Queen. I don't mean to sort of knock Queen, and they, and they had a lot of uh, great pop singles, but but Jellyfish certainly took themselves a little bit less seriously, and uh, but they still had um, you know the, the, the great harmonies that Queen were were famous for, uh, and a lot of that uh, sort of big stadium guitars. It's a shame mm. that they were no longer that they're no longer around, but um, yeah, they had some great uh, songwriting in there and um, some. Some cool uh, musicians go through their ranks, including a guy called John Bryan, who's since gone on to uh, do, I think, a lot of movie music. In fact, wrote the music for one of my very favourite films, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So uh, there we go, have a, a, a power pop connection there. Uh, and uh, I know that another power pop band, I guess of more recent years, that I've uh, uh, become a huge fan of, with uh, thanks to my good friend uh, and fellow... Uh, fellow Ice Halo, uh, Adam Fleet is uh, the new Pornographers, which oh, is uh, yes. the Canadian supergroup uh, featuring uh, Nico Case, uh, who I think Playboy listed as uh, at one time as the sexiest woman in rock. Mm, I think that I think that is right. Yes, um, I, I don't know. I, I suspect she's probably sick of that mantle and would like to be uh, known as just a great woman in rock and a great woman in country, which she is. But. Um, you know, if Playboy's going to bestow that title on you, don't don't knock it. <laughs> That's right, don't knock it. But mm. uh, the new new they're a tremendous band. Mm. Um, really like really like their music. Mm. All right. Well, I I think have we uh, spoken enough about uh, his his Matthew Sweet's origins? Anything else you want to say before we get into the albums themselves? Um, not or only only one thing that just sort of caught my mind as I was as I was sitting here and looking at I, I've got my copy of Altered Beast in front of me yep. and you've got your copy of, of Altered Beast in front of I, in I front do of you. and mine is the purple one and yours is the yellow one well, and mustard I'd say the mustard yeah. and for oh, I don't know whether you have any uh, any idea they're well, exactly the same well right? actually if you have a look at if you have a look at this on the back of the uh, booklet cover there are five coloured stripes mm. um, and maybe for the collectors out there uh, you could buy buy five different copies of well, the five different colours of the cover I believe you could um, I believe they were actually it was actually released in, in all, all five of those colours but I and, 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 and this is obviously a, this is a question without notice to you so you may not know the answer oh, oh, I have pressure, no pressure uh, I have no idea <laughs> do, you, do you have any idea as to why why why, why they released it in why released it in five different coloured mm. um, uh, covers maybe to appeal to the uh, rock completists out there who'd want to buy all Five copies and and fill the sweet coffers. Maybe, maybe, maybe right. And I uh, and I have to say that I I'm 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 not aware of whether the what colour the uh, the twentieth um, the twentieth anniversary um, edition is out. In. Oh no no no! It's twentieth anniversary edition of Girlfriend. We oh, you're wait. right. Sorry, it's not. Altered Beast was the 1993 album. Actually, of course. actually before <coughs> we go to the break, uh, that reminds me. There will be one more thing to say about um, talking about Girlfriend. Uh, only did this research, uh, found this out looking on, uh, I think it was Wikipedia. Um, the front cover of Girlfriend features um, uh, the third, uh, I think then 13-year-old uh, actress, Tuesday Weld. Um, now, the interesting story was he always had this intention. He wanted to keep Tuesday Weld on the front cover, but the original name of the album was not going to be after the, uh, the song Girlfriend, but was going to be after the... The song that closes the album called "Nothing Lasts," and um, Tuesday Weld and her lawyers said, 
You're not going to name an album. You're not going to put me on the front cover of an album called Nothing Lasts. What are you saying about me? <laughs> what are you saying about my beauty? Um, and he decided, oh, well, uh, well I, I, I want her on my album cover. I want her on the side, so I better change it to yes. Girlfriend. I, I believe it was a, it was a last-minute change, and, the, at, uh, and uh, Tuesday World is um, quite reclusive and, uh, and wasn't easy to deal with in this context in any case. Because, you know, nothing lasts. <laughs> no, that's right. And, um, and so uh, that would have been... Calling it nothing lasts would have been absolutely the final straw. It would have been. All right. You know what? At that uh, stage, I think uh, we're going to take another break. I, I think I need a drink. Uh, and we'll come back after uh, this, uh, this break. Uh, Julian there, me here, and we'll talk about after an hour and two minutes. We'll actually get into the meat and potatoes of uh, of the show, uh, which is discussing um, uh, Girlfriend and Altered Beast by Matthew Sweet. You're listening to Love That Album. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think that Sid Charisse is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. And we're back after another break. Uh, Morris Bushtinsky here, Julian Gillis over there. You're listening to Love That Album podcast, and this time around we're discussing two albums, Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend album and Altered Beast album. Now, um, yeah, I, I just before we uh, sort of get in the album proper, I've been saying, I worry about that, haven't I? <laughs> uh, but uh, look, as, as an overall summary, uh, both albums feature... Um, a mixture of gorgeous ballads, at least musically anyway, we'll get into the lyrical content, uh, with some, uh, and the ballads feature the beautiful touch of uh, Greg Lease on pedal steel. Jules, you mentioned before that there were some very countryish songs on the mm. album and due in no small part to uh, Greg Lease, who seems to be the um, pedal steel player of choice in, uh, certainly in uh, all the great country albums I've heard. Um, so a mixture of those gorgeous ballads with, you know, full-on punkish but melodic guitar rock mm, and, um, and it's very clear particularly particularly on altered beast that guitars are very much front and center mm. um and 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 even the way the way it starts out with um uh, altered beast starts out with dinosaur act right and you could there's some quite discordant fuzz right at the, mm. right at the very beginning oh, and you know this. exactly where you know exactly where you where you're going and also and you know that immediately it's a little bit different to what you got on girlfriend for sure for sure <laughs> uh look the um the, the thing that's uh, nice about both of these albums, particularly Girlfriend, I think, is that the 
uh, production values. The, the, the songs sound very compressed, have that 60s compressed sound, which is a, a world away from the, al- the first album we recorded after these albums, which was 100% fun. Uh, the, the first single off that, I think, was um, Sick of Myself, which mm. really does sound like a 90s production. And that was by um, a man who uh, whose production... Um, I've not made up my mind whether I like him or not. Brendan O'Brien, who uh, really likes a big stadium sound. But to be fair to Brendan O'Brien, he actually sought Matthew Sweet out. He was a big fan, and uh, there's no doubting his taste. But <laughs> uh, but uh, he didn't, you know, not for him to do these little sort of compressed mm. albums. He wants that big stadium sound. And it, and it's quite interesting when you you mention sick um, sick, of, uh, sick of myself that. Um, and how it has that big stadium sound. I I saw um, a cover of it by Death Cab for Cutie. Okay. Um, which is obviously a very very different sound and mm. very you know and, and you you strip out all all of the the um, the guitar from it and such and it's a very very much what sort of slower and 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 and, um, and less less confronting sound. Um, personally, it didn't do it for me. Mm. I, I, I really like sick, sick of myself. Yep, yep, um, yep. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, of, fan of the song. And sometimes, once, you know, when you're very familiar with a song and you're a fan of it, you really can't hear other versions. Mm, but mm. Uh, just interesting that you, you talk about that, that, uh, that production, uh, the way, the way that um, that method of pro- producing made it sound, and how, and, and, and how um, other versions of it sound, where you've got a completely different approach. Mm, I, I guess what the uh, performer wanted to convey. Um, I've got a few songs in mind where uh, where they've been, the cover tried to convey a different feel um, mm. uh, to to the original. One actually that strongly comes to mind is um, the old Elvis Presley song, which I hate in its original guise, "Viva Las Vegas." But then you get um, singer Sean Colvin, who slows the song down to a really mournful ballad with a uh, very um, very sad harmonica sound uh, in the background, uh, and you know, the, the, the Elvis song is the Elvis version says um, Las Vegas is a great glitzy place. It's wonderful. Let's celebrate it. <coughs> and in Sean Colvin's hands, it sounds completely ironic. You know, she's like, "Oh yeah, Viva Las Vegas," but the music and her voice is telling you she's lost everything. Uh, but um, but we're digressing. Yeah, uh, again. Okay, let's talk about girlfriend. Um, unlike other shows where I've sort of gone track by track, I think I'm just going to pick from both of these albums a few uh, choice songs. Uh, and I think I'll start off with, from Girlfriend, uh, a song, I've Been Waiting. Uh, now, uh, this is uh, uh, it's a mid-tempo, major-key pop tune that you know sounds deceptively happy and mm. has a... You know, a, a very great. I think I said before a very strong birds comparison. And interestingly, if yeah, if you don't listen too closely to the lyrics, you um, it might well fall into the category of song that like Paul McCartney might call a silly love song. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That's a that's a that's a really good comparison. Um, well, this is a song from a guy to a girl who uh, who he desperately wants. But she ain't biting, and he knows it. Um, there is that great line that you mentioned before that you mm. sang to uh, your wife at the wedding. 
I didn't think I'd find you so perfect in so many ways, but I've been waiting. Um, so the, the the character actually, I'll, I'll, there's a there's an interesting theme that runs through the album or runs through a couple of songs on the album. Uh, so I will return to I've been waiting because it sort of is maybe distantly related. Uh, it's a prequel to um, to another song on the album called You Don't Love Me. Uh, but we'll come back to that shortly. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, very birds, very poppy, but uh, you know, lyrically very sad. And I think Matthew Sweet uh, sort of makes a good line in uh, having these uh, his melodies seduce you, and then mm. when you actually read the words, you're thinking, "What the fuck happened there?" You know? um, yes, and, and which allows you to selectively choose lyrics that you want to use. Exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, the next song on the album after uh, I've been waiting is the title track, "Girlfriend," which was a song that got a, uh, a lot of people to uh, stand up and pay attention uh, to Matthew Sweet. This is this is a big rocking sound with a, a very funky drum beat and a very funky guitar on it. Um, and it's basically what I'd say is Matthew Sweet rocking out with his cock out. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a Rolling Stones, like early 1970s, sticky fingers swagger about this song. Uh, very funky... Uh, drum beat and uh, great rhythm guitar um, but there's all those great harmonies you know which the Stones wouldn't have done um, so that he's, he likes his rock but he, he he's a Beatles and a big star man through and through uh, but yeah, the, the lyric musically the protagonist's vision is uh, you know confident uh, but lyrically you know less so uh, you know, you keep saying, I'd sure like to call you my girlfriend. So it sounds like a pimply 14, 15 year old thing. Oh, well, you know, I mean, gosh, please, you know, he's almost begging her, please be my girlfriend. But, and, um, and, and even looking at the very, at the, 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 um, at the start of the lyric, um, I want to love somebody, I hear you need somebody to love. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, I want to love somebody. I hear you're looking for someone to love. Mm. You know, not that necessarily there's a mutuality of, of, in, 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 in all of this. It's, it's, you know, I'm going to need, and you might be able to do something for me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is not two people who are uh, you know, just happen to uh, clap eyes on each other and mm. have that Hollywood love at first sight sort of thing. This is, um, I don't know, maybe not business-like, but it's more like you know, begging or please, you know, I, I, look, I hear you need it, and I need it, and let's, and could we please do it? But then there's that nice twist at the end, and, or maybe it's been there all along, you realise that this guy's a stalker. Mm. I'm never going to set you free. <laughs> and, it, it, I mean, I guess lyrically, if nothing else, you'd make the comparison to uh, uh, that duo of songs from uh, The Police, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, and uh, every breath you take, you know, the two great stalker songs. I think people were singing every breath you take at weddings <laughs> without realizing what what it was about. Yes, and and it, and it's interesting because it, that that lyric line at the end, "I'm never going to set you free," it jumps, it, it it grabs you primarily because it does feel a little bit out of place mm. in the rest of the song. Yes. Um, you know, whereas in, like the police songs that you talked about, like for example, um, every breath you take, it's a very consistent theme. You can you can follow it right mm. through the mm. song, exactly where it's where it's going and what's going on there. Um, 
Whereas this sort of pops pops out of nowhere as if it's a little bit of an afterthought. You know, I guess that's one way of looking at it, but I guess the other way is like, look, I've got this character here, Matthew Sweet's writing, I've got this character here, and you might sort of think he's a bit of a nervous, nerdy, shy sort of guy, but here's the sting in the tail. Once he's got you, that's it. He's, he's possessive. He's... He's a stalker and he's possessive and, you know, he's not what you thought he was. Hmm. Or maybe he is what you thought he was but you hadn't sort of fully acknowledged. So I think it's a nice little sting in the tail. Yeah, and musically it does sound like an afterthought, but I think it was all planned and it's like a, hmm. uh, a Hitchcock movie, right? Here's the thing you weren't expecting. Here it is in the end is what I'm delivering. Um, uh, next song I want to mention, um, uh, Looking at the Sun. Um, it's ostensibly it's a, it's a song of disappointment. Um, you know, he's gone and placed someone on a pedal, on a pedal, on a pedestal, uh, and and you know the, the protagonist, you know, is this low self-esteem. You know, saying, "Do you really want to run away with me? You know, would you really like to run away with me? You know, it's not like, oh my God, I can't believe someone like you would want to be with someone like me. This is not a, a love song. I would like." You know, let, let's run away together. Let's be with each other. It's, you know, yeah. oh my God, would you want to actually run away with me? Could, could you please? It's, it's, this is the same character from the previous Correct. song. There are some, there are some very complex emotions in these songs. Mm, mm. Um, there's, there's nothing, um, and, and one of the things that makes both these albums, albums extremely interesting, um, when, when you listen to them closely, is the, is the complexity of it, and the fact that, for example. Just looking at um, at girlfriend generally, the the musically the feel of of, uh, of girlfriend is quite light. It's yep. it's got quite a sort of a summery feel to it. Yes. I think. Yes. Um, and yet, but lyrically, it's quite dark. Yeah. And and I think that um, and it, to some extent, it's it sneak the darkness of it sneaks up on you a little bit. Um, in the in when you compare it to Altered Beast, for example, the some of the, the darkness is quite evident. It's the you know there's 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 not a lot of hiding of the darkness. Mm, um, mm. By hiding, I'm not necessarily saying that there's an attempt to hide it, but it's just a little bit more concealed, I think, in yep. uh, in Girlfriend. Mm, mm. Um, I, I actually, I, I think I think that's a good description. A very summary sort of feel. Um, I mean, I think there's one or two songs on Girlfriend which are out and out duck there's no trying to hide what they are but um, but yeah for the most part you are seduced by these yeah. uh, up tempo major key sounding songs oh, absolutely songs like like Evangeline mm, mm. a beautiful track yep which I think he wrote it was um, written for a comic book character um, I have a feeling because as we spoke about possibility that it, that it was written Matt, I, I think I, I was speaking to you on the phone today mm. before we recorded that uh Matthew Sweet was a what is a big manga fan. I think he's got some manga characters tattooed on his arm or something. Yeah, I've, and his film look, clips for for girlfriend and, and maybe I've been waiting. I've got manga uh, bits of manga footage in them. Yeah, certainly, certainly girlfriend. Yes, girlfriend and both of those tracks, mm. girlfriend and I've been waiting, have have a significant amount of manga. Um, footage in them, and yeah, and he's he's, um, he's got some quite some of his um, his clips show some quite influ- interesting influences. And while I was um, doing a little doing uh, research for, uh, for doing some research for this, I I couldn't uh, I couldn't help but um, um, have a look at the clip of uh, Matthew Sweet um, um, doing Scooby Doo. 
Yes, <laughs> I think I've got that on a uh, on a CD of uh, mm. B-sides and rarities. And it was on an album from about the mid-90s of Saturday, I think it was called Saturday Morning Cartoon yeah. Themes or something or other. Yep. And, um, and he's done a number of those actually because there was, I believe there was a 2007... I think um, version of Scooby Doo that he uh, he did the um, the opening and, and closing songs for. Okay. And I think there might be a, might, they might be doing another Scooby another Scooby Doo. Then I think uh, and I think he's penciled in for that as well. Okay. Actually, um, one thing I guess we should mention is only just sort of thinking about Scooby Doo, um, even though you're not a cartoon I cared ever cared for as a kid, mm. and the song doesn't do anything for me, but. I thought about this, and his voice is perfect for this. Oh, now, up yeah. until now, we've been speaking about him as a songwriter um, and about his music in general, but we should probably also mention he's got this great voice, not not a, a uh, traditional rock voice, not a deep rock voice. It almost sounds like a, um, a young, naive sort of voice. I mean, I've looked up his age. I think he's about, I'm not sure, a year or a year younger or a year older than me which is um, but yeah, um, and c- considering consider that he's been he, I think his his first album was released about 1985 or 80 uh, like mid 80s yeah he's been around so a while he's been around yeah he's but been he, around a while but he still has this marvellous beautiful sort of young young sounding voice so for him actually to do the Scooby Doo theme song he's not a Farther stretch, uh, but going from the sublime to the ridiculous, or the ridiculous to the sublime. Uh, I just come back. I hadn't finished about <coughs> looking at the sun. Um, I wanted to also mention uh, the the chorus. Um, the the, cor- the the lines are very uh, sort of contrasting. Um, you know, the, the, the he sings, "Looking at the sun, waiting for you to appear." So it's all you know. It sounds oh, well, that's nice and romantic. Uh, he has this image of an idealized uh, an idealized woman with uh, bright lights giving her a halo or something mm. like that but then we discovered in fact those lights are too bright the damage was already done looking at the sun burnt my eyes out so you know, she's off this pedestal so once again Matthew Sweet we realise he's a bitter and twisted <laughs> young man this actually this might have been recorded after a divorce and um. never piss off a songwriter well that's right and he he actually he was married very young and I think Think now. I think certain. I, I'm pretty sure that Altered Beast was um, uh, recorded af- after the after the divorce. Okay. Um, but and given that um, um, that girlfriend was recorded a couple of years earlier, um, it could have been the the, the the cracks might have already been showing. <laughs> put it that Indeed. way. Um, so, but yeah, I, I believe he, he was he was married quite young, mm. um, and then he and uh, that relationship didn't last. Yep. And I think actually, in in the course of um, that altered beast involves the collapse of the first relationship and the starting of the new. Right. Well, I tell you what, I think divorce, if if not already there, must have been in the wind because the next song I want to talk about from girlfriend. Um, which is once again musically very seductive but this is a dark song called I Thought I Knew You Uh, and I think this might be uh, one of the few all acoustic songs uh, on the album Um, uh, it's a it's certainly a more straightforward song of disappointment there's no there's no uh, uh, metaphors or anything like here this is it's just I thought I knew you but what in fact did I know um 
it's certainly, I think, yeah, the divorce was in the wind if it hadn't already taken place. The protagonist, as in uh, many of Sweet Songs, appears to have been done wrong by uh, the previous object of his affection. You know, he sings, I thought I knew you, but I wasn't even close. I had my heart set on little more than a ghost. Big ouch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I feel sorry for the woman. I don't know who she was or what she did, but... I would not want to have someone write that about me. I tell you what. Yeah, it's pretty. Look, it's pretty confronting, and and I, and I have to say, and unlike a lot of, as you, I think you mentioned before, unlike a lot of his songs, there's no twist in it, right? No, it's, no. It's it's going in exactly the same direction all the way through, mm. and it's it. Look, yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty bitter and pretty cutting. Mm, mm. And um, and and um, interesting. And uh, Lloyd Cole plays um, acoustic rhythm guitar. On there it. you go. Um, I was going to compare him. Uh, probably another interesting artist to compare him to would be Chris Isaac. Although Chris Isaac never seems to have the bitterness in his songs. It's, it's always, mm. I'm so blue, you done me. I mean, he's more like, you know, the, the modern Roy Orbison, but, um, you know, I'm so blue, woe, woe is me, I still love you, you're still wonderful. But, you know, I guess that could be seen as stalkerish too. Uh, uh, but, um, yeah, Matthew Sweet is. I idealised you and look what you've done to me, you cow. Um, but yet, like a lot of his other songs, uh, even though it's lyrically very dark, um, he has this, even though it's not listed there as one of the instruments, I'm pretty sure there's a mandolin being played in there. And just the music is so seductive. Uh, a great um, acoustic guitar rhythm backing with, uh, with lead by mandolin or you know, played very high on the guitar. Um, but yeah, great song. Certainly one of my favourites. Off Girlfriend. Uh, what other notes did I have? Um, oh, Winona. You want to talk about this one? Do you have any thoughts on this one? I, I believe that, um, um, that it was written in honour in honor of Winona Ryder, but not about her. Oh, really? So, um... Yeah, I was sort of thinking it was his, like, creepy... Tribute to her, you know, a great country melody with a stalker lyric. You know, this schleb who's under the illusion that he's in a relationship with Renona Ryder. You know, that's why. So maybe he really is in a relationship. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe that contributes to some of the confusion yeah. and, and some uh, some of this. Yeah, but um, no, yeah, I actually. I have to admit, I didn't. Uh, I haven't done the, uh, much research. I, I can't go into great depth on, okay. on Winona in, the, in that. In, in, in terms of that, I mean, my initial um, yeah response to it was similar to yours. That I, I assumed it was about her, but um, I did read in in, in um, just a few days ago that it actually isn't about her. Although looking at the lyrics, it's hard to see how that could be. I I, I think that you know the internet is. Full of yeah. all these sorts of things. I, I reckon it's a bat Winona. But Matthew, if you're listening out to this, I will be more than happy for you to contact me and uh, tell me whether uh, Jules and I are wrong about this. But until then, we're going to stand on our uh, stand on our laurels and say that in fact your song Winona is a bat Winona writer. So, but please feel free to email me and tell me otherwise. Um, uh, what other song? You don't love me. Now I don't know. Is that a metaphor for something? Do you think? <laughs> what do you think? What do you think he means it? Um, yeah, another post-divorce song, mm. uh, and really, what I said before really holds here true. Never piss off a songwriter with a record contract. Um, this is you know, more self-pitying than nasty, though. Uh, another great sound from mm. Greg Lease with his 
pedal steel. Uh, some more of that great country sound. Uh, and the album's closer, uh, Nothing Last, which we mentioned before because of the, because of the cover, um, is lyrically and musically in a similar vein to that. But yeah, another, another you know, beautiful melody wrapped yeah. around a, you dumped me, I hate you, you cow. And it's interesting just looking at the progression of the tracks that as, as you go further into the album, the, um, the tracks become very, very... They seem to become clearer about, uh, you know, that, you know, he's feeling bitter, he's feeling angry. There's no... Um, uh, there's no twists and turns in some, in, in, in some of the later tracks in, in the album. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all right. Well, look, I think I've discussed all I want to say. Do you have any final thoughts on Girlfriend before we head off to Altered Beast? Um, look, uh, you know, it's it's I really enjoyed Girlfriend, and and it's interesting that when you when you listen to it a few times, if you, uh, I, I mentioned that it has a very summery feel, mm. and um, and if you don't look, if you don't really listen closely to the lyrics, it's it's easy to um, it's easy to skip over the fact. That these lyrics are pretty dark, mm, mm. Um, and that he is—he's um, pretty hurt. But um, I—I think, and I, I, w- I think this is this would have been the um, the album that introduced me to Matthew Sweet, um, and I think probably hearing um, hearing girlfriend and hearing Evangeline. And possibly, uh, I've been waiting as well um, at, on radio at the time. Mm. Uh, would have would have uh, introduced me to Matthew Sweet, mm, mm. and um, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a tremendous album, um, and it's amazing it's amazing to think that it's uh, that it's twenty years old. Oh, now we feel old. We, yeah, indeed, indeed. And but you, you know, you think back to being introduced to an artist, and you know, and that, that the album is uh, is twenty years old. I, I didn't realise until I um, um, was doing a little bit of research just recently that yes, Tuesday World is only about thirteen or fourteen. In yes, photo. yes, that's right. That, that's right. Yep. Nothing lasts, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about um, the follow-up album, uh, Altered Beast. And, Jules, you've already um, mentioned something about the uh, opening track on Altered Beast, Dinosaur Act. Mm. You lead this off. Look, di- and Dinosaur Act is, as I, as I say, it's, you know, it, it, there's a lot of some serious noise at the, very, at the beginning of Dinosaur Act. It really grabs you. And it's quite, uh, but it's quite a confronting song, Dinosaur Act. And um, it's, um, in some respects, because of the um, the relatively summary feel of um, Girlfriend, and and I think a lot of people probably, you know, enjoyed the listening experience without listening too closely to the lyrics of Girlfriend. Um, Dinosaur Act is a real challenge. Um, if you're expecting Girlfriend 2 mm. when you when you when you put um, uh, when you put Altered Beast on, um, you are immediately challenged by mm. uh, by Dinosaur Act because it is um, it is so uh, you know it is so cr- uh, you know there's some serious guitar noise at the beginning. Mm. So um, I um, yeah I I, I, I think that. Um, it, it's um, you know you know it, it, it is it is a challenge to the listener. It it, um, uh, it invites you to um, uh, to to view this as a very different album to uh, to girlfriend. So I think that um, you know it's um, 
it's it's a, it's a real it's a real challenge, and um, but it's and, and it certainly sets it sets a real tone for the album album as as a whole, um, and it leads to um, Devil with the Green Eyes. And if I if I re- if you really were to ask me what is my fa- what is my favourite Matthew Sweet track, I'd probably pump for this one. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. What is just, that? Um, always, always loved it. It's, it's, look, it's got quite dark. It's got actually very dark lyrics. Mm. Um, he is, um, it's a, it's a seriously bitter attack on a, on a former loved one. But, um, but it's, it's a, but it's a, it's just a really, but it's, it's quite, it's quite a mellow feel. And it's an interesting point because, um, you talked about the fact that you talked about we, we've talked quite a lot about the quality of sound of his songwriting, mm. and we've talked a little bit, a little bit less about the quality of his um, of his actual of his vocals. Mm. Right? Mm. I'm mm. a big fan. I'm a big big fan of his voice. Yes. Um, and one of the things that he generally does very well is that he manages to use that voice really well, even to convey the darkest emotions. Mm, mm. Um, uh, but it is a point that I will go back to because there are a couple of spots on this album where he doesn't quite, in my opinion, get that right. Okay. Now, and I, I will have to admit, like, unlike now, lots of people have paid to hear you sing, right? Uh, Whereas nobody, no sane no. person has ever paid to hear me sing, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I do feel a, sl- uh, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, a bit um, as if I'm treading on, on, you know, on dangerous ground. I must point tra- out that lots is a very <laughs> relative definition here, Julian. But uh, yeah. uh, but it's um, but it's got some, you know, it's a, you know. Um, I, you know, I can understand you're living in a prison. I know you, you can only see me as a vision. I might fade away with the coming of a new dawn, right? and and your heart is breaking. And it, and there's some seriously, you know, there's there's some serious depth in these lyrics. But um, but you know, um, he refers to her, um, the devil with the green eyes said you were never meant to be mine because I came up from a dark world and every love I've ever known is dead. Oh. Um, you know that's. Fairly uh, lyrically, that's fairly heavy going. Um, <laughs> it certainly is. But um, I just, you know, sometimes you, you take a real liking to a track, mm-hmm. and um, I, um, I, I, I could listen to "Devil with the Green Eyes" over and over and over again. As, um, yeah, well, I'll, as I make mention when um, a couple of tracks further on, "Time Capsule" was the mm-hmm. one song that I played. Over and over again, but I agree with you. Yeah, Devil with the Green Eyes, um, yeah, is a great tune and uh, has plenty of that Robert Quine feedback. Mm. In fact, the song even opens with it some does. Of that it feedback. opens up with that with that feedback. And I have to say that I've 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 seen Matthew uh, Matthew Sweet play once, and he didn't play Devil with the Green Eyes. Oh dear. Um, so um, and I remember and I remember even you know. Even though it's fifteen years ago since since I since I saw him, uh, I still remember being you know thinking that it was a fabulous fabulous gig. But I still remember my one tinge of disappointment being that he didn't play Devil with the Green Eyes. Mm. So um, now you've talked about um, you mentioned Time Capsule, and um, if uh, if anyone's listening, um, and well, before we get to that, can we talk the, the next song on the album? Sure, uh, Ugly Truth. Have you got anything to talk about? About it in two different ways. We can. Um, the ugly, we can. Yes, two the, versions. I'm not even sure. 
why there are two different versions well, it's interesting. of this song. It's interesting. And, yeah, look, he, Matthew Sweet must be must have been pretty keen on this mm. um, because he's got two different versions of, of the song. And, and yeah, the, the arrangement <coughs> isn't that radically different. I mean, I, I, the first, the first <laughs> version uh, of, of uh, this song, The Ugly Truth, mm. appears on the album. Uh, they're, they're both uh, you know, fairly mid-tempo plans. It's just maybe the, you know, one version of the lead instrument is a fiddle. Uh, so it has a mm. slightly country feel, slightly com- yeah, and, and, uh, and the uh, the second version rocks uh, out. To rocks a... out. So the, the fiddle's replaced by a lead guitar. But that having said, it's not like you know one's in a different time signature, or you know it, it's still uh, drums, bass, guitar, a couple of guitars, but you know, a fiddle replacing another lead guitar. It's not, not radically different. So I'm no. not quite sure why he did that. But and, and, yeah, and it, it, it's un- it's. It's unusual. It's unusual to have different versions of, of of the same song that aren't particularly different. Um, I might also make mention. I know that a lot of artists, you know, they record more than what they need for a particular album, and the songs that they say, "Well, we just have no room for these," end up as B sides or not being used at all. And there were at least two or three CD singles that came off this album, and each one had like about two or three bonus tracks. And in my mind, these B-sides were as good as anything on the album. So I don't know why he'd sort of use up that space That's yeah. for a second version of, admittedly, a very, very, very good song. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, well, look, I, and I have to say I had a similar, um, a similar view, view to you on that, that there were a couple of points in this album where I looked at it and thought... Mm, there must have been another track that could, could have gone in there, and that's—I mean—you've you've got two versions of that, and you also have the um, uh, the little extract. If you say what I think, we're going to come to that. We're okay, not up today. Well, we won't get there. Okay, no, we'll no, we got, oh, okay. we got no, no, stuff no. to say. Okay, we got stuff to say. <laughs> I, know, I know where you're heading. <laughs> okay. Um, the um, yeah. So there's look. There's there's two versions of Ugly Truth. It's a terrific track. Um, look, hey, yeah, let's talk about the song itself. Worth having it. Worth having at least one version of it on this <laughs> album. That's for sure. Uh, look, this. Uh, I figured this song could actually be called as well the inconvenient truth. Uh, it, it, it seems to me to be uh, about the like the little lies that we force ourselves to tell uh, to not fuck up somebody else's day. Hmm. You know, you know, uh, we're told you know even if you're feeling upset about something, smile. Uh, if you disagree with someone, uh, just keep it to yourself because no one wants to have their day bothered. And uh, so, you know, on the one hand, you know this uh, the. the the song could be seen as, you know, once again, his his nasty protagonist mm. who's, who's populated these two albums is just coming up with something more to complain about. But I don't know, maybe I identify with some of those characteristics. In fact, I want to compare the character in this song in a way to uh, a character in my favourite book of all time, The Catcher in the Rye. Holden Caulfield frequently makes observations about seemingly pointless things that really annoy him. He says, I really hate it when when um, uh, you, you see nuns carrying cheap suitcases or uh, I hate I hate phony movie stars who who uh, take two bites of their chocolate before they uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, that last bit's made up but he, he points out little things that annoy him and, and I remember the first time I read it I thought I agree with that that really annoys me, which might make me just as much of a, a, a sad sack as Holden Caulfield, but 
Um, but certainly it seems to me that the character in The Ugly Truth is a not-too-distant cousin of Holden Corporal from Catcher in the Rye. Look, I will say something now, and this is something I often try not to do, which is, and I, but I will say, I will talk to you about the video for this song. I don't know if you've seen the video for, for Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth. No, I don't think I have. No. Okay, um, I, I I saw it last night actually, and um, in the video for the Ugly, he's now he's he's being chased. He's in a he's in a car. He's in he's in a quite um, cool looking car as a Dodge or something or other. Um, zooming through the countryside, being chased by um, by police, and uh, yeah, it could be that one. Mm. Um, and um, um, for, for those of you who are not in this room, um, <laughs> <laughs> Morris, Morris was just showing me the photo in the back cover of the. Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> the, Sorry about that. Listeners. The liner notes. Yes. Um, and um, um, and he's being he's being chased through 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 the countryside, and eventually he's caught, and he opens the boot of the car. Now. In the version of the video that I saw, and I went and had a look for another version, and it was the same, right? That's where it stops. There are a number of there are police and various people peering into the boot of this car. In um, I did, however, find one a reference somewhere or other. I can't remember where I found it to the to there being a body in the boot. Mm. Um, now I'm not, and I'm not, so I can't verify that that's what was actually there because it I, it wasn't on the version of the video that I saw. Yes, but. Um, but it's interesting because that's a that that that, that, that that's a far more um, uh, a, a far more significant issue than than what you're to, than, than which is not to say that you that, that I'm not I'm not in any way suggesting that your necessarily your your an interpretation is an interpretation, um, but um, that that may be that his 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 interpretation of it may be somewhat more dramatic than what you're proposing, but I can't actually say because I couldn't see what was in the boot. But often, as we know, that uh, directors of, of rock music video clips take a very either literal or very That's obscurist true. interpretation of the song lyric. That's true. And also, it would not be very easy to portray the idea that you have um, <laughs> that you were expressing before. It's somewhat easier to portray the idea that's on that video. Well, let's talk about the video for the next song in the album, shall we? Time Capsule, which I, I, think, not? I think apart from burying something, I don't think that there's much relationship between what we see on the screen. This is, no. um, this is a video clip which, if you haven't seen it, uh, I guess has something in common with um, uh, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, really uh, interesting animation techniques, uh, not not claymation, I guess per se, but what looks like stop motion uh, photography with all sorts of. You know, I think Matthew Sweet's lying on the ground somewhere, and all these uh, little critters start crawling over mm. him. It's very creepy. Cockroaches and, uh, yes, and yes. It bears it's... absolutely no relation to the lyric whatsoever, I think. No, well, that, 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 that's right. And, um, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's very Gulliver's Travels. Oh, yes, okay, I'd go with that. I'd go with that. Um, musically, well, I'd compare this... Oh, sorry, maybe not musically, but lyrically, I'd compare Time Capsule to uh, a song by The Monkees. Um, now, uh, monkeys, I guess, you know, received a lot of flack, you know, for being, oh yeah, you were just a, the um, the uh, American idols of their day, manufactured pop band, and yet they had the best songwriters in the business writing for them, and then eventually they learned to play their own instruments and write their own songs, and Mike Nesmith and Peter Talk were genuine musicians mm. from the word go. 
Uh, and there's a, a Peter Talk song called Love Is Only Sleeping. Now, why I compare that to Time Capsule is Time Capsule is a song about uh, Matthew. It, it's for, for, for Sweet, it's a surprisingly optimistic in a downbeat sort of way. Um, he's singing about... He, he's acknowledging to uh, the object of his affection or former object of his affection you know, things are not so good with us, hmm. but it's not that I don't ever want to see you again, and I hope it's not that you don't ever want to see me again. Maybe our love is just buried deep in a time capsule, and let's dig it up. I, I would then, absolutely agree with and that. The, the monkeys and the monkeys song. You know, uh, Peter Talk is singing a similar sort of thing. You know, we've gone through some hard times. Things are not so good now, but maybe it was that just love was only sleeping. It's a similar theme and I know that a lot of other songs seem to be either I love you I'll always want you or I hate your guts or mm. I'm creepily stalking you but very few that sort of say look we've got our problems but let's work it out and, and I think that look, I, I, I would agree with that and I think that in some ways the um, the outlook of this song is actually quite sentimental mm. um, that um, he would like to look back on the on that feeling um, and as you say um our love is in a time capsule. Let's dig it up, right? Let's go back to that. The last, uh, the, the last, like the, the coda of the song is him mm. singing that line repeatedly. Let's dig it up. Let's, Let's dig exactly it up. Exactly right. Mm. Um, and um, and as you say, that is that is a is a significant contrast to the anger that is in a lot of this in a lot of this material. Yes, I yeah, good point, good point. I'd say in a way, possibly time capsule, certainly musically. Uh, I've not made up my mind lyrically but certainly musically this song actually probably better fits on Girlfriend you think maybe I don't know Um, yeah it's it's, it's more it's it's, um, uh, less of the confrontational rock there are some quiet moments on the album but but still this I guess is more of the uh, happy melody still wrapped around a fairly serious subject matter Mm. but uh, is not as nasty as some of the songs on this album actually get. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah, far, look, certainly far less brutal than um, than a lot of than, than songs like. Um, oh, the next one. Devil with the green eyes, or what do you know? Uh, yep. <coughs> and the next one. Someone to pull the trigger. Uh, <laughs> yes. Someone to pull the trigger. This is not a love song, folks. <laughs> in case you hadn't no, guessed. No, and and nor nor is it a cover of a Morrissey song. <laughs> it's not. Oh. It's not. It just sounds like the, yeah, it, the, the title sounds like the kind of thing that Morrissey, Morrissey would, would write. Sing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, look, it, it's this is it's an extremely bleak song, right? And um, the, the lyric line in it: "Everything I'll ever be, I've been." Right. I mean, I'm really, just going to end it all right now. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you would you would hope that you know that most people do not know what it what what that what that actually feels like because it's a horrible thought. Yes. It's a truly, yes. It it's is. really a horrible horrible thought. Um. Something you know, in someone someone to pull the trigger. Uh, where do we go to next? Oh, the next <coughs> the next song. Actually, I remember hearing this on the Radio Three Triple R. Uh, little bit after the time when he toured um, mm. uh, so you know after I'd gone and bought the uh, CD single time capsule this is probably the next song that uh, really grabbed my attention called Knowing People uh, this is 
This is a song by a guy who's who just wants the rest of the world to go away. Uh, musically, it's got some you know fantastic guitar work, very discordant stuff from Richard Lloyd. Um, and it really is a great rock song, but it's, you know, no one's gonna no one's gonna play this at anyone's wedding. No, that's um, true. That's true. I, 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 an interesting thing is because despite the discordancy of the the guitar, and yet he Matthew Sweet time and time again finds a place for the vocal harmonies to go on. He does. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. Look, my problem with with this song is this that. Um, and we and I, I touched on it a little bit before. Um, I think that he tries a little bit too hard in this song to sound to make anger sound angry. And he does sound very angry. He sounds he sounds he sounds very angry, but he generally he, he he has a beautiful voice, and he generally uses that beautiful voice to convey in concert with with his with his you know with his tremendous songwriting to convey the emotion that he's trying to convey mm. whereas I, I just felt that in knowing people it just sounds a little bit too forced he just sounds like he's trying too hard to sound angry I look I, I can acknowledge that uh, and, and <laughs> certainly you know the, the the lyrics here are very scary if they were to be genuine so mm. so uh, I could live with the fact that this is a little bit forced was uh, the lines in it you the way you move the things you say mm. your your desperate dreams are pathetic I don't like knowing people and I don't like people knowing about me um, yeah if that were natural I'd be saying mm. right use some of that those songwriting royalties for psychiatric <laughs> help although interestingly I don't like knowing people. I don't like people knowing about me. No. Well, most a lot of people feel that way from time to time. Mm. A lot, a lot, you know, it, it, that's not a particularly. Um, uh, it, it's it's not an emotion that uh, that, that repels me. Mm. Um, it's not an emotion. It's not an idea that I find particularly troubling. It, where as opposed to like someone to pull the trigger. Um, where you know everything I'll ever be, I've been. Mm. That bothers me deeply. Yes. Whereas the idea of I don't like people, I don't like knowing people, I don't like people knowing about me. I reckon everybody has a bit of that from time to time. Yeah, but you get the impression that this is how the guy, how his protagonist in the mm. song actually lives. This is not a guy having an angry moment. His whole life is an angry moment, and in a way, I'd say this is this song is sort of like a not too distant cousin to the ugly truth. Mm. Um, uh, yep. he's a, the, the, the guy is like the same cynic uh, the, the ugly truth uh, the character there is he's, he's just cynical about all and everything around him and here he just not only is cynical he's, he has so much vitriol it is yep. just and Richard Lloyd's guitar that feedback it's just all this one package so you know what even a forced song from Matthew Sweet is still oh it's still strict yeah yeah, uh, oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, look, and he comes over as a fraction self-indulgent on that song, but um, but yeah, it's you know, it's, but as 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 you say, mm. um, uh, a forced Matthew Sweet song is still a lot better than a lot of what, what, what we might hear elsewhere. Um, so, the last song of what I presume would have been side one if this had been released on the vinyl was uh, a thing called "Life Without You," and this is possibly a, uh, a cousin to somebody to pull the trigger uh, you know beautiful melody with a dark lyric mm. I'm there I'm saying that again about a Matthew Sweet song um, 
but yeah, if you had to watch me scream and cry, you'd feel the need I'm living by. Uh, a fragment of the pain the world has put me through. I wouldn't want a life without you. But mind you, if you if you were to be in a relationship with this guy, <laughs> you might have to say, well, I'm walking that way. You're going to have to be forced to do it. I don't know. Yeah. It could be. Oh, and, and the songs, yeah, it's a bit of a... I, I, I regard that as a, as a bit of a classic Matthew Sweet uh, track. Um, it's a classic sound, but the, mm. his character is... Yeah, it's very scary. It's, oh, absolutely! It's very, very dark. I wonder um, what he's like as a person. I wonder—is he really? I mean, he's probably just like a big, happy sort of guy. You know, who loves his, loves his wife, loves his kids, goes and has a rather sort of a good existence. But well, yeah, he just seems to be able to run it at the darker side of life. And, and I, I suspect that he um, he might be one of those one of those songwriters who finds it easier to write when there's a lot of turmoil on um, and then and, he, and when he's got a lot of dark emotion um, going on and it all comes spilling out mm, mm. all right so now we're going to talk a little bit about what you wanted to talk about before <laughs> the uh, the obvious um, uh, the midpoint of the album uh, is um, well, it, it, it's listed on the album cover as intro, but what it really is, it's, it's not a musical track. In fact, what Matthew has gone and done is he's lifted a scene of dialogue from the 79-1980 film Caligula, which, uh, for those of you who you know, maybe were born in the last you know, 20 years or don't know this, but uh, this film, in its day, received a lot of controversy. We, you know, they tried to ban it, uh, certainly in Australia. I don't know about the States. But they, uh, I think they ended up releasing like a very heavily censored mm. version of uh, Caligula. And, uh, there were stories that the actors were desperate. Because, I mean, the, 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 the cast, we're not talking about any hacks. We're looking at people like uh, Malcolm McDowell, Sir John Gilgood, Helen Mirren, for crying out loud. These are... These are, did I say Sir John Gilgood? You, did, did, I did, you I did. did say Sir I, John Gilgood. Uh, these are not and slouches in the acting department, and yet they made, what I, from what I understand, because I've not seen either film, a penthouse version of Salo. Um, and I heard they did I, strange things with cucumbers and torture. <laughs> uh, I've, I've not seen it either, but yes, it was tremendously um, controversial at the time, and... Uh, and um, Malcolm McDowell does get credited in the liner notes mm, mm. Uh, for this album. So, but there's so the, the uh, scene of of uh, dialogue that they take from the film has uh, sounds like a, a Caligula uh, speaking to uh, the Senate, the Roman Senate, and uh, saying, uh, "Vote for me, and uh, so I can become your emperor." Those of you, those of you who. Uh, um, know what's good for you vote say I and they all say I and then that closing bit of dialogue sounds like from one senator to another oh now he, now he is God he's you know, God he, yes um, and, and it's a very scary moment and mm. why is it there Jules why I, I did the it? research I can't find any reference to why it's there no no and I um, I, I don't know um, I uh, and it is yeah, uh, it's odd. Um, <laughs> to, to put it mildly, it, 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 it's it's odd. Um, it's only forty six seconds worth, 
So, um, uh, so it can be it can be excused as not being a um, a massive diversion, mm. but um, I just I'm not real I'm really not um, uh, not sure why it's there. Um, I'm not sure that I'm not, and I, I have strong doubts that it it, it added um, it added anything to anything particularly significant to the album, mm. um, and particularly given that I. Given that 18 years later, um, neither of us actually know why it's there. Uh, <laughs> that, that suspect, I, I suspect it, it doesn't um, provide us with any great insights into um, into Matthew Sweet and his songwriting. No, no, it certainly doesn't. But um, an interesting diversion, Dick. Mm. Uh, and to be absolutely honest, you, you, to this day, I still have no desire to go out and watch it. I don't know about you. Um, no, to no. To put it, that scene in context. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I suspect, yeah, I... I, I don't think that I need to see the other two hours of Caligula uh, um, no. to, uh, uh, to 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 better understand Halted Beast, to mm. put it that way. However, if there's anyone out there who's listening to this, please send me an email to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au if you have any theories or any knowledge at all as to why uh, he did that. Was he just saying at the time, this is a really cool film, I just think I want to uh, pinch a minute's worth of dialogue, or whether there's something a bit deeper? Uh, like that cucumber I hear rumoured that they insert somewhere in that film. Um, okay, so back to uh, the, the rest of the music proper. Uh, the next suite of songs starts off with, well, it's The Ugly Truth, but he calls it The Ugly Truth Rock. We've, I think we've mm. spoken a bit about that. We don't need to uh, cover that unless there's anything else you want to, to say. No, no, no I, think, I think we've covered that one adequately. Right, so uh, then he goes to uh, Do It Again, which is not the Beach Boys song. Uh, and it certainly doesn't echo its sentiments, its summary sentiments. No, it, look, it doesn't, but it's it covers an area that um, that writers often sort of songwriters often skirt around, which is the imperfect love. Right? Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's much easier to write about fabulous love or traumatic or a traumatic mess mm. than it is to write about the imperfect love and when as he as the when the lyric goes um a love that's bad is better than none mm. um mm. and uh, and, I, and i think that a lot of pe- that people you know respond to the truth of this and and it, it's an idea that um you know that has been taken up by um by a lot of by other songwriters as well that you know that something sometimes people are prepared to I, I suppose effectively um take the good with the bad yes. and say that you know this 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 is not perfect but i'm not prepared to um uh, i'm not prepared to give it up either it's uh, yeah, it's a fair statement and i guess maybe uh uh something that a lot of people in relationships will Will uh, identify wholeheartedly with. Mm, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I, I think so. And um, yeah, and 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 it is, and it's an interesting idea because um, yeah, because so because so many songs are written from that, that's sort of if you if you were to look at, a, at it on a spectrum, if you to place those emotions on a spectrum, that's somewhere in the middle, yep. right? And so many songs are written that describe either end of that spectrum. Mm, mm. Okay, following that, uh, we hear In Too Deep. Now, this is probably one of the songs that uh, I think was um, a little bit forced. Mm. Um, what's the, you know, I'm in too deep, drowning in the fire, burning in the lake, dying from desire. It, it, it sounds a bit, you know, 
Year nine, year ten. It does. It it, it sounds it sounds a little bit like someone who's been doing a bit of reading about surrealism. <laughs> um, or or, or uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie was the name of that director. Um, who was the king of surrealism? Oh, it, it escaped me. Never mind. As you were, go on. But yes, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. And those, those, that, those particular lyrics, um, drowning in the fire, burning in the lake, dying from the die, are a bit. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if grating is the is, is the um, is the right word for them, mm. but I'm not sh- I'm not sure that they're the they're the best lyrics he's ever written. No, I'd say they're a, a, a fair <laughs> way away from it, but it doesn't detract overall from uh, from the rest of the album. No, no, I, 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 it's um, and 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 also yes, they're, they're it's a bit you know the whole the whole sound of that that track is a little bit forced. It is. So let's uh, let, not give it any more time. Correct. Why Reaching not? out. Reaching out. Do you have any? Do you have anything on the, on this? Um, I don't. My, my notes actually stopped there. Ah uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was. I'm all uh, prepared. Um, I was. I, I was. Yes. I. I. My notes are uh, uh, a scant, lead, uh, verging on non-existent. For right. Uh, well, do you have anything to say about any more of the rest of the songs on the album? There's only been another two or three. I there think, are after that. only uh, an- another two, and look, I, I suppose that the um, the thing I would say is that um, it's an interest. It's an album that probably needs to be um, listened to as a whole. And it's it, it it's pretty it's quite it, one of the things I found interesting was it's quite like lyrically and it's quite brutal at the uh, particularly at the beginning mm. right and it's very very confrontationalist um, and then it it's it sort of um, uh, it never it never gets light put it that way it mm. never gets light but it lightens a little bit um, and. Um, and I think, and get, when when you get through to the very last track, I think it is, is Evergreen. Evergreen, the very last track. Yeah. It is the very last. Actually, track. one point I will make: every time <laughs> I've listened to this, I've often thought that reaching out, mm. uh, the song which is I think three or four from the end, um, is placed in the wrong position. That sounds to me like a final song for the album. I mean, Evergreen yeah. sort of does, but reaching out definitely does. I think he's. Uh, yeah, probably not tracked that well, but um, I'm certainly glad it's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful melody. But and it certainly sounds like a final song. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I, I have to admit, I hadn't really thought about um, reaching out as being the final track until this until this very moment, and about whether it would work better better there. Mm. And I, I think, I, but, but I think you, the general, I think Evergre- Evergreen is um, is quite a good final track as mm. well, mm. Um, and it does end on a sort of. Lighter, sort of lighter, more, more sort of forgiving note. Um, that um, you know, in every love there is a promise. So baby, don't you? Uh, so so baby, don't you cry? There's no difference between the earth and the sky. There's no reason we have to die, mm. right? Um, no, you know, nowhere near the um, the harshness of um, of some of the uh, of some of the earlier lyrics. Mm. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting to see the way the the album album moves towards that conclusion. All right, well, I think we might conclude our talk about uh, Matthew Sweet here, um, and not the conclusion quite yet of the show. Uh, we'll have one more break here, 
and after the break we'll come back I uh, for the first time I think I have some feedback so uh, yeah have a, 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 an mp3 that was sent to me so some voicemail and an email so um, we'll be back in uh, a couple of minutes you're listening to Love That Album with Morris and Julian Dream Dusty Rose. I'm coming to you live and in living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American Dream Dusty Rose knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silva. Sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and sh. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. And we're back for the final part of episode nine of Love That Album. Uh, Just thought I'd uh, present some feedback for you that I've had for the show. Uh, Quite chuffed. Nice to get a little bit of feedback. Uh, So the first thing I think I'll do is read an email that I got from Michael Persh. Michael Persh runs a podcast in uh, the city of Adelaide in South Australia called Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide. He uh, found my show uh, and uh, here's what he had to say. Sent me a note saying, Hi Morris, just listened to your Joe Jackson Night and Day program. Really enjoyed it. I agree it was a great album. Joe's piano, the rhythmic diversity and the great melodies make it a standout. My first band was called Look Sharp. We hammered the Joe Jackson songbook, the first three LPs anyway. Always a rousing version of I'm the Man at the end of the set. Love to have a chat if you find yourself on your own chatting about another LP. I've been podcasting out of Adelaide since 2007. It's nice to have some more Aussie music shows like your, yours around. All the best, Michael Persh. Thanks so much, Michael. It's uh, really very flattering to um, uh, know that you've found the show and have enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, look, I really, really enjoyed doing that Joe Jackson uh, program, even if it was by myself. I do prefer doing shows with a guest, but um, yeah, well, hopefully we can get together sometime in 2012 over Skype, providing my recording software actually works, and uh, tackle an album that we can determine in common, maybe um, seeing as you're the host of an Australian music podcast, then um uh, we might find a couple of really good Australian albums to uh, talk about. And uh, if you're listening out there and would like to listen to Michael's podcast, and it really is an excellent show, uh, then you should head on down to either uh, Adelaide Rock Show, that's Adelaide, A-D-E-L-A-I-D-E, adelaideRockShow.mevio.com, uh, and you can download the program's from there, his program called Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide, or you can find it on iTunes. Uh, and he's been going for quite a little while now. There's quite a number of episodes up there. So uh, if you're living on the other side of the world, 
uh, maybe have a bit of a listen to um, uh, Michael's programs and hear him interview some great Australian artists. And if you live within Australia, then a lot of these artists won't be strangers to you and you can hear some of the great interviews and music that he presents from uh, some of the local uh, Australian music acts. Uh, I caught a couple this week, uh, Jody Phyllis uh, from The Clouds, who are uh, reforming and will be doing a national tour sometime in February. I'm going to be seeing them play in Melbourne. And also he did uh, an interview with legendary uh, Australian uh, songwriter, saxophonist, songwriter, Joe Camilleri, he of Jojo Zett and the Falcons and Black Sorrows fame. So uh, go check out Michael's podcast. Uh, okay, so the other bit of feedback I had was uh, by voicemail from my very good friend, Dr. Zom. And here it is. Good day, good day to love that album. This is Dr. Zom, and I'm calling from America today. Just went out for a bit, walking, listening to some musical tunes to end the year 2011. my good man, your podcast has brought many, many wonderful, insightful moments to my ear holes. And though I do not have time to listen to as much music as I should, because of work, because of play, because of sleeping, and little everyday things. Podcasting? What? 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 Sylvan Gold? What? What? I have been listening to some songs that I wanted to relay to you at the end of the year 2011. <laughs> First, so I sing you to sleep After the lovin' with a song I just wrote yesterday Yes, I have to admit, I was listening to Engelbert Humperdinck <laughs> last night. And I don't know why I'm laughing, because if I like it, whatever. You know, you like stuff. Uh, the next one. Yellow is the color of my true love's hair in the morning. When we rise. I was listening to a little Sunshine Superman, uh, the song Colors by Donovan. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're a holiday. Bum, bum, bum. Such a holiday. From Down Under, I was listening to other Bee Gees. And, um... Hmm. <sighs> I can't even think of some of the other songs. I'm trying to think. My brain is not working as well as it usually does. A little bit of the Eagles' peaceful, easy feeling. Last night I was listening to that and Life in the Fast Lane, the version, done in concert by Joe Walsh. And, um, yeah, that's about it for now. I was kind of getting on a, for some reason, on a YouTube uh, Eagles thing. I know, um, it's funny, because some people 
can't stand the Eagles. See them as corporate sellouts and this and this and that. And, but uh, I enjoy their stuff. I mostly like their um, their uh, you know their older stuff uh, when they first started out. It was uh, kind of a uh, country rock kind of a deal. But anyway, Morris, I just want to wish you and your family a happy new year and hopefully this holiday season will not see you pulling your hair out by the roots <sighs> and with that i have to say zom what yeah thanks for that feedback zom uh quite enjoyed hearing your picks there and uh yes don't worry don't ever apologize for listening to engel humperdinck engelbert humperdinck because as the man used to sing, it's not unusual. And uh, yes, thanks for uh, singing your picks for us because um, I reckon that you know you've got a you, you've got a pair of uh, good dulcet tones there, uh, good doctors on. Um, we might actually get you to come on and uh, sing your favourite albums for us in the future. Um, yeah, I, I I think I might commission you to do an album put together called you know Doctor Zom sings your Engelbert Humperdinck favourites. Um, I don't know. What do you reckon out there? Give us some feedback and let us know whether uh, that would be a million seller. I certainly know I'd buy it. Okay, we're drawing to uh, the end of uh, the final episode of Love That Album for 2011. It's been uh, quite a wonderful ride uh, that I've had. You know, 12 months ago, even really seven or eight months ago, I had no idea that I wanted to do a podcast, but um, decide. Uh, maybe about May or June that I did and I've had an absolute ball with it had a lot of fun and look forward to doing a whole bunch more uh, before I finish off a couple more things uh, I just want to uh, give a shout out uh, to uh, a few of uh, my good podcasting friends people who've been very supportive of me and uh, they put on fantastic shows to boot a um, uh, big shout out to uh, Dr. Zom and Pickleloaf of uh, the hosts of Silver and Gold. Uh, Dr. Zom hosted uh, episode eight, talking about quadrophenia with me. Um, he's an absolutely lovely fellow, uh, very funny guy, uh, and he knows his music, and he, more importantly for his own show, he knows and loves his film. So I hope I'll be uh, coaxing him to uh, come and do a few more shows in 2012 with me. Uh, locally, Paleo Cinema, uh, hosted by Terry Frost, who lives in Melbourne. And the strange thing is, we both live in the same city and we've not met up yet. But uh, hopefully in 2012 that'll change. But uh, Terry has uh, really given me a lot of entertainment with his take on films and also his broadcasts on uh, the ABC Radio Darwin, which uh, I've been tuning in via um, the internet, listening to uh, Radio Darwin and his uh, film descriptions and insights are uh, nothing less than exemplary um, and uh, yeah, he's put me onto a lot of great films uh, through his uh, show his podcast and his uh, broadcast on Radio Darwin with uh, Ivor Cole uh, listen to him on Thursday nights uh, if you can uh, just google ABC Darwin and uh, you'll be able to hear uh, Terry and Ivor rapping on about some uh, great films uh, another well, there's an international production, Girls on Film, uh, which is a show um, take, uh, that um, I think uh, the, 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 the four hosts 
spread out between uh, Perth in Western Australia and uh, different parts of the US. And uh, that show, if you haven't heard it, is um, uh, chicks taking uh, their perspective on what they call man flex. So not for them to talk about uh, chick flicks. They like their action films. They love their gutsy films. But uh, they want to take a, uh, a woman's perspective on it. And uh, their shows are wonderful. Uh, uh, so uh, Rach and Emily uh, in particular, uh, the names that I remember. But uh, yeah, they do a great job down there on uh, Girls on Film. Look for that on the Potomatic podcast site. And I should also mention a great big shout out to uh, a great friend of the show, uh, Melbourne broadcaster, uh, Billy Pinnell, who also came on to do uh, an episode with me talking about The Doors, LA Woman. And uh, one that's just uh, only recently come to my attention, well, because I read read out his uh, email earlier on, is uh, Michael from Adelaide, who uh, puts on a fantastic show called Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide. And... Um, I'm, I'm excited about talking about Michael because, uh, first of all, because he's another local podcaster and also because he talks about music. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you do uh, well to listen to uh, Michael. He's had a lot of uh, really wonderful uh, local guest musicians come and talk about their music on his show. Michael's someone who knows and loves his uh, Australian music. Uh, so I'd urge you to uh, Google Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide and uh, listen to some of his podcasts. Uh, there's some other really great podcasts out there, but um, uh, those are the four that I'll go for. They're the ones that I'm most grateful to uh, having uh, in uh, my ear holes over 2011. Uh, another big thanks at the end of this year to uh, all the people who've co-hosted with me. Uh, so uh, music journalist Jeff Jenkins, uh, my good friend uh, Jeff Smith, uh, hosted a couple of shows with me uh, under unfortunate circumstances with uh, with uh, internet connections dropping out and um, recording software not working so uh, that was a pain who else have I had on um, who else am I I'm, I'm probably going to get into a lot of trouble oh of course well Dr. Zom who I mentioned before who uh, did the Quadrophenia episode with me and uh, big thanks saving for last to uh, my good friend Julian Gillis for uh, co-hosting this episode, this Matthew Sweet episode with me. Thanks very much, Jules. Thank you, Morris. It's been a pleasure to come in. Um, a great pleasure to uh, talk about a couple of my favourite albums. And, mm. um, yeah, it's a terrific way to finish off the year. I think, uh, I, I'm hoping that you'll be available in 2012 to do a few more. I would love to do a few more. Good. Okay. Um, so thank you, uh, any of you out there who've been listening to the show uh, this episode, any of the uh, earlier episodes as well, really appreciate your uh, support and look forward to uh, some more uh, podcasting for you in uh, 2012. And I thought I'd finish off uh, this final episode for 2011 with something a little bit uh, different, a little bit special for you, seeing as it's approach approaching the, uh, uh, the festive side of the year, be it Christmas, Hanukkah or Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan. Um, I thought I'd have a little bit of a Christmas tune to end off the show for you. Um, this is uh, something I'm very, very proud of. Uh, I'm in a uh, a cappella group called the Ice Halos. Uh, we uh, try to perform as much as we can down here in Melbourne town. If you're listening to this from interstate or overseas and want to book us, uh, we're available. Um, uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, 10,000-seat arenas, you name it. Uh, anyway, we had an end-of-year 
barbecue last night. Very casual, very uh, a, a lot of fun. And one of the songs that we'd uh, rehearsed for our repertoire this year was uh, the great Pogue song, Fairy Tale of New York. And uh, we uh, we uh, recorded this on um, uh, on an iPhone. I've gone and extracted the audio. Uh, and uh, I'm tacking it on to the end of this episode for your uh, listening pleasure. At least I hope it's your listening pleasure. So um, please uh, enjoy your holiday season if you're in Australia. Survive the sweltering heat if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Hope you survive the bitter cold. Uh, but um, enjoy the next few weeks. I'll probably be back sometime in mid-January with some new podcasts. Uh, listen to some great music. Watch some great films. Read a lot of wonderful books. Uh, spend some time with your loved ones. Enjoy yourselves. And uh, I look forward to 2012 and hope you enjoy uh, the next few minutes with the Ice Halos doing Fairy Tale of New York. Cheers.
could have been Ooh. someone. Well, so could anyone. You took the dreams from me when I first found you. I kept them with me, babe. I took them for my own. Come back it alone. I built my dreams around you. The boys from the NYPD choir were singing Go Away Bay. And the bells were ringing out for Christmas Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.